And we are on air for Fans for Racing Radio. Can everybody hear me? I can hear you. Okay. And I think we have one other person on the line here. Who is that? Maybe they're just calling in to listen. Okay. Uh, we are back for Fan for Racing Radio. And uh, we're going to be talking about our season opener, Daytona. NASCAR Weekend Preview, big weekend this weekend in the world of racing. And uh, joining me for today's show is going to be Mike Orzel as our co-host. So, Mike, welcome to the show. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do here. I, I literally agreed to do this eight minutes ago. So, I mean, do I, I do a hello now? Do I wait until Hot Topics? I, I have. I don't even know what to do with my hands, and I'm on the radio. Okay. Well, let's ha- let's uh, do this. We were supposed to have uh, another co-host. They got called into a work-related matter at the last minute, and so that left us scrambling here uh, for a co-host for today's show. So Mike graciously agreed to do it. He's never done it before, but uh, we are going to kind of work our way through this. And, Mike, I did send you some info on the Teams app on your personal page, so uh, hopefully that will help you. Is that there? I'm, I'm furiously looking through Jayski's website trying to prepare myself to discuss things that I wasn't prepared to discuss. So, like I said, I'm going to do the very best that I've got for you, uh, but if I can successfully fill enough dead air time to make a radio show, that's my threshold for success. So, Let's, let's keep the bar low, okay. and we'll be happy with it. Well, I do appreciate you stepping up to the plate here, so thank you. Um, okay, now then, let me uh, uh, go ahead and get started with our short track information, and that is on the Teams app, uh, Mike. So you'll want to go to yep, the Teams app for that information on your individual page. Okay, now uh, for short track, uh, there's a lot going on, uh, but let's talk about some of the things that uh, are kind of storylines to follow. Uh, In the dirt world, there's some travel issues between Australia and the United States, and that's going to keep James McFadden away from the start of the high-limit racing season. Matt Weaver writes about that over at Sportsnot, but that's just – incredible uh, that it's the travel issues that are going to keep him away from the track. It's really unfortunate because, I mean, James McFadden is obviously a big name in in dirt racing, and we were hoping to get him over to the United States. Kyle Larson has has been trying very hard to build up his high-limit dirt track racing. I think they've been doing a very, very good job with it, but getting these big-name dirt racers from outside of the United States is always an obstacle, and unfortunately, it looks like at the beginning of the season they've run into an obstacle already. Absolutely, and, and uh, it's at uh, James McFadden's expense, unfortunately. Uh, another story to kind of keep an eye on here is there's some takeaways. Uh, the World of Outlaws Dirt Car Nationals are taking place this week, and we were going to tell you about some of the races that are still left to run in that. Uh, But that's huge, too, the World of Outlaws uh, Dirt Cars Nationals. Matt Weaver also writes about that over at Sportsnet. 
Yeah, it looks like there's going to be a host of tracks in the deep south for the prolate model. And they're working together to launch at the uh, Rogers Dad's Performance Challenge. And that's also coming from Matt Weaver out from Short Track Scene as well. Yes, yes. Uh, Matt Weaver is uh, the go-to person when it comes to uh, racing. And, and we rely on a lot of his articles uh, uh, for that reason. Also, Colorado's uh, Cody Dempster is uh, coming east to contest in the Cars Late Model stock tour season. So that's really good news for those folks. Uh, you can read more about yeah, that yeah. over at Short Track Scene. Yeah, it absolutely is. We're already seeing results of the, uh, the the big name NASCAR Cup Series drivers, Bill Jr., Kevin Harvick, Jeff Burton, and others who have invested into that Cars Late Model Series. And it's really good to start seeing results there already. It absolutely is. Uh, I'm super excited. It was fun to watch last year. Last year was their debut season, and uh, I had a lot of fun keeping an eye on that series last year. I'm, I'm really looking forward to their sophomore year here this year. Okay, let's talk about some of the races that are coming up uh, uh, starting today. Now, a lot of these races have been happening uh, and I'm going to start with uh, that World of Outlaws mo- late model feature, uh, the Dirt Car Nationals. Uh, they are going to be racing uh, the 15th today, the 16th tomorrow, and uh, again on Saturday. So uh, a lot to look forward to with that. Every day they start at 5 p.m., and uh, you can watch all of that over on Dirt Vision. So we were talking about uh, that happening, already happening this week. So this is just the the, uh, final races that are taking place over these next three days. That's right. And also this evening and through the rest of the week, we've got the USAC Sprints at Ocala Speedway. Uh, They're going to be running tonight, the 15th, as well as on uh, Friday the 16th and Saturday the 17th, all at Ocala Speedway. And those are going to be carried starting at 6 p.m. on Flow Racing. Yes, indeed. And then also happening for the next three days is the King of the 360s, the East Bay Raceway Park at 6.30 p.m. Uh, And again, uh, that is all three days, and I believe they all start at 6.30 p.m. over on Flow Racing. If you're not a member of Flow Racing yet, you definitely want to check that out. Um, If you are looking for any kind of racing any day of the week, you can find it over at Flow Racing. So I highly recommend uh, becoming a member there. And you can watch uh, those races live in, in many of those cases. And if you can't catch it live, there's always the replay that's available. That's right. You do it. Now you want to move on to the short track uh, section of our uh, our discussion here? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, absolutely. Um, Starting just down the road from Daytona International Speedway. So if you're in town for the Daytona 500 this weekend, do yourself a favor and head over to New Smyrna Raceway. They've got the World Series of Asphalt going on this weekend. And if you can't make it down there in person, that's going to be on Flow Racing starting at 7.20 p.m. uh, And that's going to be on February 17th for that, uh, that World Series of Asphalt at New Smyrna. It certainly is. Uh, now, another big news story this year in NASCAR and short track racing is NASCAR now has their regional site. 
So we're going to head over to that just to introduce everybody to the NASCAR regional site. Uh, it's at NASCAR.com, uh, NASCAR regional. So if you go to the regular NASCAR.com site, there's a link, link there for the NASCAR regional news. And there are a lot of storylines to watch here uh, that uh, I think, and one of them includes behind the scenes of the 2024 World Series of Asphalt Racing at New Smyrna Speedway. So um, if you want to catch up with everything that's happened so far at New Smyrna, you can do it right there at the NASCAR.com slash regional website. Yeah, absolutely. You'll see a lot of familiar faces on there as well. I mean, for example, Chase Elliott just ran the Clyde Hart Regional at New Smyrna the other night. And he had a quiet night. He finished sixth. But you're not just looking at the up-and-coming stars, but you're also seeing how some of our current stars in the NASCAR Cup Series are impacting these regional races. Uh, and you kind of can see some drivers working their way up. For example, there's, uh, there's some information about Tony Brydinger doing work at New Smyrna Speedway as well, as she continues to try and hone her talents to eventually work her way up into the National Touring Series of NASCAR. Yes, indeed. Uh, Tony Brydinger is definitely going to be one to watch. Uh, they've got some onboard footage of Tony Brydinger's crash uh, that she had at New Smyrna Speedway on Wednesday. Uh, and you can check that out. There's also race, uh, race highlights of the John Blewett Memorial 76 Modified Race that took place out at New Smyrna. And this is a name that you'll want to keep an eye on. Katie Henninger uh, got some more exposure this year at New Smyrna's World Series as an asphalt. Uh, and it's just one year since she made history by winning at that track. Uh, in the same uh, event of the uh, World Series of Asphalt. So you can uh, take a trip back to last season and uh, uh, revisit that uh, over at NASCAR Regional. So uh, some really great articles over here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we always focus on the top three series of NASCAR with a little bit of a glance to ARCA, but it's important to remember that those series don't happen in and of themselves. They are fed by talent that is developed at this local and regional level. And this NASCAR uh, uh, having this website where you can follow this regional action, I think, is really, really great because it gives fans the opportunity to see some of these up-and-coming drivers and maybe be familiar with the name before everyone else's. That's right. Now, you know, talking about that, there's a there's a multi NASCAR is a multi generational sport for a lot of drivers. You mentioned Chase Elliott earlier, and Chase Elliott is his dad is one of the all time favorites in NASCAR, um, and that's Bill Elliott, million dollar Bill Elliott. Um, so there's another article up at NASCAR Regional, and this is the last one we're going to mention here, and Ty Fredrickson is another driver that's going to follow in his uh, father's footsteps. And you can read all about him uh, and learn more about him because uh, in, in uh, short track racing and dirt racing, uh, these are all names, uh, as Mike mentions, that they're coming up through the ranks and you get a chance to learn more about them before they hit the NASCAR ladder. So uh, check it out. Uh, I think this is really great that NASCAR is doing this, and I, I'm loving it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to seeing some of these names racing on uh, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays in the not-too-distant future. All right. Mike, we're going to head back over to the Teams app now for the Arkham and Art Series. Uh, and I'm going to All give right. a recap of the dates and times while you're getting there. And then we've got a few news and notes uh, items that we can get on there. Uh, the Daytona ARCA 200 is actually the very first race at Daytona. Uh, <clears throat> well, no, that's not true. The truck race is going to be the first race. But anyway, the, the Arkham and Art Series is always a fan favorite at Daytona. And uh, it, they're going to race that race this Saturday, February the 17th, <clears throat> excuse me, at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will be carried live on Fox Sports 1. They're going to race 80 laps uh, for a distance of 250 miles. And there's, we've got a lot of notes here with regard to this race. So uh, we're going to kind of hit on all of these notes and things that you can be looking for when you watch this race. Uh, so you want to hit the first, first note there, Mike? Well, sure. I mean, last year's race, uh, like you said, the Arca uh, race is always exciting. And last year's race came down to the final lap with the Anderson and the Anna native Greg Down Alls taking the lead down the backstretch and holding up an 11-car pack off of turn four. And he held out, and this ended up being his first career Arca Menards win. Uh, Greg Van Alls, remember, has been a long-time participant in the Arca Menards series, kind of a journeyman driver, one of those hard-nosed, grinding kind of racers. And it was so good to see him get that win finally at Daytona last year. Yes, indeed. And uh, just one other mention before I go on to the next note. This is going to be the 61st time that the Arkham Menard Series is racing at Daytona since they started in 1964. That, is, that gives you an idea of the history of the Arkham Menard Series and how important it is to racing. And with NASCAR now owning the Arkham Menard Series, uh, it's really great to see that as part of their feeder system into NASCAR's top three. Uh, but there's 50 entries, 50, count them, 50 entries for the Daytona ARCA 200. Uh, and uh, that is the most since there were 51 people that drove in that race or that uh, participated in 2016. Uh, the 50 drivers uh, represent 22 different states, six countries, including the United States, of course, Mexico, New Zealand, Canada, Luxembourg, and Japan. Pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And it shows you just how special Daytona is. It really is. And one of those uh, 50 entries this year is going to be Andres Perez, and he's going to be returning to the Arkham Menard Series in 2024 for Rev Racing. He's trying to better his runner-up finish in the, in the season standings from last year. Uh, Perez wasn't able to compete in, in this year's Daytona ARCA 200 due to age restrictions, but he was credited with a 40th place finish after making one lap on the apron in practice. So Andres Perez, our runner-up in the, the point standings for ARCA last year, is finally old enough that he could fully compete in the Daytona race this year. So he's going to be contending for that win this year. Uh, and I look forward to seeing what he's able to do to prove himself as a, a worthy competitor in the Arkham and Art Series. 
Yes, indeed. We've been following Andre per, Andres Perez, and uh, he's actually been on our show before, and uh, we have a lot of fun talking to him and uh, watching him race on the track. So I think we're going to see great things from him uh, this season. Now, previous Arkhamanard Series winners that are going to be competing this week include uh, Nelson Stacy, Iggy Katona, Mike Bowser, Ralph Latham, Andy Hampton, Benny Parsons. Um, oh, wait a second. Previous Arkhamanard Series, am I reading this right? I, I misspoke earlier. These are previous Arkhamanard Series winners. Uh, they're not participating this weekend, <laughs> but these are other people that have won. Uh, I'll continue on with the list here. Ramo Scott, Andy Hampton again, uh, Charlie Blanton, Rod Hutchinson, uh, Lenny Pond, Woody Fisher, Jim Sauter, Kyle Petty, John Rezick, Tim Richmond, Joe Rutman, Beryl Harris, Rick Wilson, Glenn Sears, Grant Adox, Ralph Jones, Mickey Gibbs, Ben Hess, Jimmy Horton, Jeff Purvis, Mike Wallace, Andy Hillenberg, Kenny Irwin Jr., Bob Gerhardt, David Keith, Ryan Newman, Chase Montgomery, Kyle Bush, Michael Annette, James Busher, John West Townley, Grant Insinger, Austin Terrio, Michael Self, Harrison Burton, Corey Heim, and Greg Van Alt. Now, that just shows you how some of these drivers do come up through the Arkham Menard Series uh, because those more recent ones I mentioned are names that you hear in NASCAR's top three now. Yeah, absolutely. Some very familiar names in that list, including Cup Series champions Benny Parsons, Kyle Busch, and others who were in there, and some family names mm-hmm. in there, James Busher, for example, Kyle Petty. Uh, so, yeah, ARCA is not considered a top-tier series in NASCAR, but we talked a minute ago about the regional level of NASCAR. Well, this is a continuing development pipeline, and a lot of those names on that previous ARCA winners list grew, went on to be very, very successful in uh, other higher tiers of NASCAR. Now, speaking of successful drivers there, Bobby Gerhardt does lead all drivers with nine wins at Daytona International Speedway. Other drivers with multiple victories include Iggy Katona with three, Ben Hess with two, Jimmy Horton with two, Jeff Curtis, Andy Holberg, John West Halley, Grant Enfinger, and Corey Heim, also with two victories each. Absolutely. Those are all great drivers, and we've had fun uh, watching them come up through the ranks and continuing their careers when you think about drivers like uh, Grant Enfinger and Corey Heim. And then you've got Andy Hellenberg, who's a team owner now. So Arke uh, plays a very important role in racing. So drivers who have scored their first career uh, Arkham and Art Series win include Charlie Blanton, who did it in 1973. Lenny Pond got his win in 76. Jim Sauter in 78. Kyle Petty followed him in 79. In 80, it was John Revick, Tim Richmond in 81, Carol Ferris in 83, Rick Wilson in 84. Then it was, uh, they skip a year here with uh, Grant Adox in 86, Ralph Jones in 87, Mike, Mickey Gibbs in 88, Ben Hess in 89, Jimmy Horton in 90. And then we skip a couple of years and go to Jeff Purvis in 93, Mike Wallace in 94. Then you've got 90, Andy Hillenberg in 95, skip a 
three years to get to Kenny Wallet, Kenny Earlson Jr. in 98, Bobby Gerhardt in 99, uh, and then we're going to skip a few more years again and go to Chase Montgomery in 2003. John West Townley skips uh, about 10 years there in 2013, and then Greg Van All skips another 10 years uh, with his win just last season in 2023. So uh, a lot of first-time winners there as well. Absolutely. And uh, the way you win that race is by going fast, right? So the, uh, the Arkham and Arthur's <laughs> qualifying record at Daytona International Speedway is 44.953 seconds, which equates to a lap speed, average lap speed of 200.209 miles per hour. That was set by Bill, Venter- Bill Venturini in February of 1987. Now, I don't know that I would expect the cars to be going that fast this weekend uh, due to the cars being slow- intentionally slowed down for safety reasons. For example, our pole speeds last night for the Daytona 500 was only a bit over 181 miles an hour. But we do see some incredible speeds at Daytona International Speedway, and we can expect to see that again this weekend. Yes, and keep in mind, this is the Arkham Menard Series. They don't have the same restrictions that the uh, Cup Series has right now. But uh, uh, not only do you have to go fast at Daytona, though, Mike, you also have to have friends. Uh, in order to finish that race. And the Arkham Menard Series race record at Daytona uh, for the race uh, is one hour, 18 minutes, and 20 seconds. That represents a speed of 153.191 miles per hour. And this is for the Arkham Menard Series. This is not including NASCAR's top three. Uh, that was set by Kenny Irwin Jr. in February of 1998. That's incredible when you take into account that that average speed also includes laps that are run under caution at only uh, 50 or 60 miles an hour. So for the average speed of the race to come up to 153 miles an hour, even knowing that they're going to run a decent number of those laps at pace car speed, just tells you the incredible speed that these cars run around Daytona International Speedway. Now, the field will be set in group qualifying sessions on fr- for Friday's general tire pole qualifying. The 50 drivers will be assigned a group following a random draw. There's going to be six groups of seven and one group of eight cars. The fastest 34 speeds will be locked in, while the final six will be provisional starters. Three based on the final 2023 owner's point standings, two on eligible Golden AEM teams who started all 20 races in 2023, and one reserved for a former series champion who did not make the field on speed. If there are gold made positions and or a past champions provisional that go unused, they will revert back to the 2023 owner's point standings. So a bit complicated, but you've got to keep in mind that the Arkham Menard Series doesn't have a full field of full-time drivers. The, uh, I'm not going to say the majority, but a large number of those 50 drivers on the entry list will not be attempting to complete the entire 2024 Arkham Menard Series season. But you can see how this, this, uh, the series is structured to reward the teams that do by giving those gold made positions to the teams who did attempt all the races last year. So quite a different couple of different opportunities to get in there, but as with all things, the best way to do it is on speed. Always. Okay. Now the modern era, this modern era represents those races uh, post 1979. Uh, so the modern era record for lead changes in the Arkham and Art series is 18. Uh, that keep that in mind because we may see, uh, some of these old-time records broken this weekend. Um, 
that was set back in 1985. It's a long-standing record, uh, but you never know. Uh, there was a race. That race was won by Glenn Sears. The fewest lead changes, and that's another one to keep an eye on this weekend in the Arkham Menard Series race at Daytona, is just who? That was in 1998 in a race that was won by Kenny Irwin Jr. So uh, we always like it when we see race records broken. That's why we bring those up here because uh, it's numbers that you want to keep in mind while you're watching the race. Well, sure. Now, I would say if I wanted to see one of those two records broken, I would say it would probably be the, the most number of leaders. Uh, only having two lead changes throughout the race is usually not the, the indicator of the most exciting race ever. But another record we probably <laughs> don't want to see broken today is the record for uh, the modern era record for the most cautions in the Arkham Menard Series race at Daytona. And that is nine, all the way back in 1989. So nine cautions uh, for the past 30, over 30 years, 35 years. I think we've been doing okay there. Now, the record for the most laps under caution is 47. And that was set in 2006 and tied again in 2009 and then the fewest laps under caution was 10 set in 1998. Now, if you notice, we've mentioned 1998 a lot. It was the fastest race pace, had the fewest number of lead changes and also the fewest number of laps run under caution. So we can see that it was a clean race, not particularly competitive and they ran it very, very quickly. Okay. Uh, Now, excuse me. I don't know why my voice is so froggy this morning. I apologize. Uh, now, should the race need to be extended into an overtime, there will be one attempt at a one-lap green-white-together finish. Should the caution be displayed any time on that final lap before the field receives the checkered flag, field will be frozen and the race will be over. <clears throat> So, again, we like to let you know what the circumstances are should there be in overtime and what you can expect and how they're going to handle it. So uh, that's all good. Now, I see that, Mike, you don't have the news and notes, so give me a minute here, and I will send those over to you, okay? I'm going to post them here on this page. I've been quickly flailing, trying to find them uh, as we as we go, they go through the other information here. Uh, folks, thank you for your patience. This is uh, a little bit of uh, getting to see how some of the sausage is made here. So uh, thanks for your patience this year and provides me the information that I was unprepared with to begin with. Well, and that's because of the last-minute nature of the whole situation here. Uh, and uh, I do apologize. <clears throat> okay. So uh, what you can do, Mike, go over to the ARCAracing.com uh, page, and there's some news stories there that we can finish the ARCA segment up on uh, if you want to come or cover some of those while I'm doing this. Well, I mean, looking at the uh, some of the news stories at ARCA, their big headline right there, probably the biggest name in ARCA racing right now is going to be Tony Bridinger. Uh, she's been promoted heavily, featured in Toyota commercials, featured in other 
uh, commercials through her sponsorship of Victoria's Secret and other. So, yeah, Tony Bryden are definitely one of the biggest uh, names in the Arkham Menard series going into the 2024 season. And what do you know, front and center on the Arkham Menard series page is a story regarding Tony Bridinger and the work that she put in at New Smyrna Speedway, which we already discussed earlier this season. She's continuing to put in the hours necessary to get the seat time to eventually build the skills necessary to continue her career in the NASCAR uh, uh, Arkham Menard Series with the Eyesports eventually, hopefully moving into the NASCAR Cup Series in the years to come. So, yeah, Tony Bridinger putting in the work at New Smyrna Speedway for sure. All right. I'm uh, pasting this as we speak. I hope it works (laughs) Um, and that I don't have to break it up into sections. Another, uh, just to fill some some space here, uh, another big name that we haven't uh, mentioned in that 50 entry or list for the, uh, the Arkham Menard series, Shane Van Gisbergen will be uh, starting the Arkham Menard Series race this weekend. Uh, remember, the New Zealand-born driver had a one-off in the Cup Series number 97 car, winning the Chicago Street Race. Shane will be running full-time this year in the NASCAR Xfinity Series for Colleague Racing. But in order to qualify for Daytona, he had to do the at least the ARCA test, and that has led into a full Arkham Menard Series run. So Shane Van Gisbergen, another big name, uh, we'll be making his, uh, I guess, stock car debut, if you want to call it that, at least full-time, uh, in the Arkham Menard Series General Tire 200 this weekend as well. Okay, Mike, I'm happy to send this to you on email. So it's going to come to you All on right. email. It's the only way I can get the whole thing over to you. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm uh, if I'm just looking in the wrong spot on the website or if I don't have access to it or what. But uh, either way, your email did just come through, so we are in business. All right, good. We're going to start with the truck series, um, <clears throat> and I'm going to give you the details for that race. Uh, and let's see here. The next race for the NASCAR Truck Craftsman Truck Series is the Fresh from Florida 250 at Daytona International Speedway. This is tomorrow night, Friday, February the 6th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, that will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also catch radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. And they'll be racing a distance of 250 miles over 100 laps. Stage one and stage two are 20 laps each, ending on lap 20 for stage one and lap 40 for stage two. And then the final stage is, of course, ending on the last lap, which is expected to be on lap 100. So uh, if you scroll all the way down, Mike, we get to the truck series, and we usually go bottom up. Let me and I'll see here. Um, That's a lot of scrolling. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting. Yeah. Well, I got nervous uh, when I first looked at it because it cut off after the Cup Series. But now, if I hit the rest of the message, I do have the notes from all three series there. So yeah, looking at the NASCAR Cup or Truck the Craftsman Truck Series, excuse me, they do kick off their season this weekend at Daytona. Uh, it's going to be under the lights, and this is the 30th NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series event. 
um, season, I'm sorry, the uh, 30th season for the trucks, and that's going to kick off with the Freshman Florida 250 uh, at Daytona International Speedway. And since 2000, the truck series has opened its season at Daytona, and this weekend is going to be the 25th running of this event. Now, before this, before last year, the last seven races at that track, which is 2.5 miles in length, had seen seven different winners. Zane Smith broke the streak uh, last year when he joined Todd Bodine, who won there in 2008 and 2009, as the second driver to win consecutive races at Daytona in the truck series. Uh, notably, there have been 20 different winners at the track. So uh, let's take a look at those uh, 20 different winners. Um, well, we'll take a look at some of the highlights of those 20 different winners uh, over the years. Sure, absolutely. And uh, who, who holds these records at these races? Well, let's take a look here. The race record overall is held by Mark Martin at 146.622 miles per hour, and he set that all the way back in February of 2006. The qualifying record, though, is held by Ty Dillon at 146.62, uh, more recently in 2015. The most races uh, run in this series, or at this track in this series, is run by Matt Crafton. He's run 22 of the 24 races that have finished, uh, have been completed, and he's scheduled to run this weekend the 25th. So he only has missed two of the, the total 25 Truck Series races at Daytona. Uh, most polls there, Joe Rudiman has two. Johnny Slaughter has the most wins at three. The most top fives is Todd Bodine at six. Matt Crafton comes in with the most top tens at eight. And Johnny Sauter has the most left lead at 151. All right. Uh, so we're going to take a look now at some of the rookies uh, that are going to be racing this weekend. Uh, this, this season, three drivers are going to be competing for the Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors uh, in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, those three drivers include Lane Riggs, Thad Moffitt, and Connor Jones. Uh, so these three are drivers that you're going to watch all season long. Uh, but uh, Daytona is going to be a big one uh, to watch these three drivers as well as they start their rookie campaign. Um, I'm going to start with uh, Lane Riggs. You take that. I'll go. I'll finish off with uh, Connor Jones. Uh, Lane all Riggs right. is... He's 21 years old. He was the 22 Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series champion, so he has success behind the wheel already. Uh, he's going to be behind the wheel of the number 38 Front Row Motorsports Ford with Crew Chief Dylan Capello. Now, Riggs has made six career truck series starts already, but uh, he's going to be making his series career track debut at Daytona this weekend, and that's because a lot of these drivers uh, aren't old enough to race at Daytona, even though they can race uh, in the series sometimes. Uh, they have to go through uh, a qualification process, if you will, in order to be qualified to drive at Daytona. So we'll look forward to yeah, that absolutely. debut for Lone Ridge. Absolutely. And our next rookie to talk about is Thad Moffat. He is 23 years old, and he's the grandson of the King Richard Petty. Uh, he's going to be behind the wheel of the number 46 faction Chevrolet with crew chief Doug George. 
Moffitt has made four career starts in the NASCAR Truck Series, but this year he's going to be campaigning full-time for Rookie of the Year honors. He did start this year, or last year, not last year, two years ago in the 2022 race at Daytona, and he managed an 18th place finish. He didn't start the 2023 race, but he will be here for 2024 and the season to follow. All right. Now, our next driver is the youngest driver that's going to be racing. He's 17 years old, and he's also the 2023 World Series of Asphalt Pro Late Model Champion. Uh, He's going to be behind the wheel of the number 66 for Thor Sport Racing in a Ford. And due to NASCAR's age restriction at a track larger than 1.25 miles, Joins is going to be an eligible to compete at the season opener at Daytona International Speedway. So we won't see him this weekend, but uh, he is still going to be competing for that Rookie of the Year honor uh, for the rest of the season. So we talked about it. A lot of times these drivers cannot race at Daytona uh, because of their age, but uh, uh, it is going to be cool to see him for the remainder of the season. Yeah, absolutely. It puts him at a bit of a disadvantage campaigning for Rookie of the Year, missing that first uh, first race of the season. But given the nature of the Craftsman Truck Series, I don't think Connor Jones is going to be at that, that much of a disadvantage. But then again, there's a lot of drivers who had strong seasons last year, and there's going to be more to watch this year. And uh, let's take a look at some of the drivers who are going to start this weekend. I know the first one on the list there, Sharon, is one of your favorites. So tell us about Ben Rhodes. Okay. I was just going to Hold on, I got to flip back here. Uh, okay, ben, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I was trying to answer Tommy. Okay, Ben Rhodes, the reigning 23 Craftsman Truck Series champion, will be back behind the wheel of the 99 Thor Sport Racing Ford at Daytona. Uh, and that's a familiar truck for him. Uh, so a lot of people will be uh, familiar with that ride. Rhodes has made eight starts at Daytona. He tallied one win. That came in 2021. He also has three top fives and four top tens. And he's also led 61 laps at that uh, huge track at 2.5 miles. Absolutely. We know you like Ben Rhodes, and we also know that Brian likes Grant Enfinger. Enfinger is going to be in the number nine CR7 Motorsports Chevrolet this season. Uh, Enfinger has made nine starts and tallied one win at Daytona, that win coming in 2020. Also, he has one pole, three top fives, and four top tens at Daytona, and he's led a total of 60 laps at the track. Grant Enfinger, a veteran driver and championship contender from last year, and certainly one to watch this weekend going into the race at Daytona. All right, another driver to keep your eye on this weekend is Tanner Gray. Uh, I think uh, he's definitely going to be another one to watch. Uh, And he's returning to the number 15 Tricon Garage Toyota. And although he's uh, never tallied a win at Daytona, he has been one to watch the last two seasons. Gray's made four starts. He's tallied two top fives. He's got a runner-up finish last year and two top tens. Uh, but I really think you got to watch out for that runner-up finish last year. He's going to be looking for redemption when it comes to this season. Absolutely. Speaking of redemption, we have Ty Dillon. Uh, he's been in and out of various rides all the way up to the NASCAR Cup Series level. But this time, the, uh, the 2012 NASCAR Cup Series, or Craftsman at Truck Series champ, uh, Rookie of the Year, he's going to be returning to the series full-time, and he's going to be behind the wheel of the number 25 Rackley Ward Chevrolet. 
Ty Dillon has made a, a total of three starts at Daytona in the Truck Series and has tallied one pull and two top tens. Dillon has also led 93 laps at Daytona. And don't count that 25 Rackley War Chevrolet out. Don't forget, just over a year and a half ago, that truck went to victory lane at Talladega Super Speedway, a very similar truck to Daytona, though it was driven by Matt DiBenedetto at the time. We'll see if Ty Gibbs can, or Ty Dillon can, quali- uh, can capitalize on that good Rackley War equipment this weekend at Daytona. Absolutely. Now, we mentioned Thorsport Racing when we talked about Ben Rhodes, uh, but uh, there's another reason to keep your eye on Thorsport Racing this weekend. Uh, They can break a three-way tie for the most Daytona wins in the Truck Series this weekend. Uh, They're tied sitting atop the wins list at Daytona in the Truck Series, and there's three organizations in that spot. We've got Thorsport Racing, GMS Racing, and Bobby Hamilton Racing with three Daytona wins apiece. So this weekend, Thorsport has the opportunity to break that three-way tie and become the sole leader in wins at Daytona in the Truck Series. Uh, Another thing to keep your eye on this weekend, Front Row Motorsports will have a chance to win their third consecutive Truck Series race at Daytona, uh, starting in 22. They also won in 23. They can make it a four-way tie for the most wins uh, at three each and uh, join that prestigious list that we just mentioned. So keep your eye on Front Row Motorsports this weekend as well. Absolutely, especially with Lane Riggs jumping into that number 38 truck at Front Row Motorsports. We already talked about him as somebody to watch this weekend as one of our Rookie of the Year contenders. So we'll see if Lane Riggs is going to be the one who's going to be able to to break Front Row Motorsports into that three-time, three-consecutive win at Daytona International Speedway this Friday. Okay. Also, guess what? The Triple Truck Challenge is back this year. That's always a fan favorite. Yeah, the Triple Truck Challenge, this was introduced all the way back in 2019, and it's a three-race program that provides drivers in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series an opportunity to win $1,000 in bonus money, which you got to keep in mind, for a a truck series team, that's a huge amount of money. That's probably more money than a million-dollar check is worth to a NASCAR Cup Series team. So that Triple Truck Challenge represents a huge payday for the uh, winning team for that. Also, a $50,000 bonus will be awarded to the race winner of any one of these events. If the driver wins two of the three races, that's how they get $150,000. And then to win that big $500,000 paycheck, they have to win all three races, and they get that half a million dollars from there. Since its inception in 2019, no driver's been able to win all three triple truck races in one season. Last year's winners were Ben Rhodes, Grant Enfinger, and Carson Hosevar, who pocketed $50,000 each for their efforts. And where now are for the 24, be at, Karen? I was just going to say, for, for this season coming up, the Triple Chuck Challenge will be held at these tracks. Mark these dates on your calendar. May 24th, they'll be at Charlotte Motor Speedway. June 1st at Worldwide Technology Raceway down in St. Louis. And on June 28th, they'll be at Nashville Super Speedway. All big tracks on the, uh, on the Craftsman Truck Series schedule and uh, all three chances for these drivers to win that Triple Truck Challenge bonus. So uh, can't wait for those dates to come up. Next up, we're going to go to the uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series. 
Uh, the United Rentals 300 will be at Daytona on Saturday. That race starts at, uh, that's February the 17th. That starts at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it will be televised once starting at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Radio coverage on MRN and Sirius M NASCAR radio. They'll be racing 120 laps to cover a distance, 300 miles. First two stages are 30 laps each. Stage one inning on lap 30. Stage two ends on lap 60. And then, of course, the final stage will be another 60 laps, and that will end on lap 120. So what do we have here for the Xfinity Series, Mike? Well, this season marks the 65th running of the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Daytona International Speedway. The previous 64 races have produced 37 different race winners and 43 different pole winners. Now, only six races have been won from the pole or the first starting position, most recently done by Austin Hill just last year in 2023. So who do we have who holds the, uh, the current records in the Xfinity Series at Daytona as we head into this weekend? Okay, again, records uh, are made to be broken, so let's see what happens this weekend. Uh, Jeff Bodine has the race record at 157.137 miles per hour. That was done in February of 85. The qualifying record held by Tommy Houston at 194.389 miles per hour. Uh, That was in February of 87. And, again, those are long-standing races, uh, so it might be tough to break those, but uh, we'll see what happens. Most races uh, and most polls, both held by Joe Nemechek. Uh, there's a reason they call him Front Row Joe. Uh, he's had 37 races run in the truck series at Daytona and five polls at that track. Uh, most wins, there's actually a tie here between Dale Earnhardt and Tony Stewart, two of the legends of the sport. Uh, they both have seven wins. And the most top fives, uh, Kevin Harvick holds that record at 12. And the most top tens, again, we've got another tie. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kevin Harvick have the most top tens at 14. And the most lap led uh, by the Daytona uh, super Speedway King of these days, and that's Dale Earnhardt Jr. at 550. So uh, a lot to look forward to. Now, the, they will have qualifying this weekend. Uh, they're going to start their engines for practice on uh, Saturday, Friday at uh, 4.35 p.m., followed by qualifying on Saturday at 11.30 a.m., so uh, watch for that this weekend because it's not just the race. It's all those activities leading up to the race as well. Absolutely. I would say a lot of eyes this weekend are going to be on Richard Childress Racing's Austin Hill. Is he really a uh-huh. threat at Daytona? Remember how strong he was last year and the year prior at the drafting tracks, uh, Daytona, Talladega, and now Atlanta Motor Speedway, even though Atlanta is a 1.5-mile track, it kind of falls into that same drafting type uh, of racing that Austin Hill's been so strong at. 29-year-old Austin Hill won the season opener at Daytona in 2022 during his rookie season, came back in last year in 2023 to win it again, and now he's got the opportunity to join an exclusive list of drivers who have won the Daytona season opening race for three or more consecutive years. Joining NASCAR Hall of Fame drivers Dale Earnhardt, who won in 1990, 91, 
92 and 93, as well as Tony Stewart, who won in 08, 09, 2010, and 2011. So Austin Hill has got some big shoes that he's trying to fill in there with keeping that win streak alive there. He heads into the 2024 season after a stellar 2023 season where he posted four wins, including Daytona, but as well as Las Vegas, Atlanta, and Pocono. 16 top fives and 24 top tens, and was in contention for that NASCAR Xfinity Series championship all the way until the, uh, the final race at Martinsville when he was eliminated from championship contention. He ultimately finished the season fifth in the championship standing, the best finish in the final points for that driver to date. Yes, indeed. And there's some other drivers that we need to uh, look at that are considered super speedway ringers. Austin Hill, of course, is one of those drivers from Richard Childress Racing. Uh, He's, of course, looking for that three-peat with his two wins in 22 and 23 of his five Daytona starts. But there's some a couple of other drivers to keep your eyes on here, too, and we'll mention several. Uh, first is uh, Junior Motorsports' Justin Algauer. He's the most recent winner at Daytona, uh, and he's made 26 starts at that track, posting one win last year, eight top fives, and 12 top tens. So I keep my eye on Justin Algauer as well. And another driver, uh, one that a lot of people might not think of is one to watch or is a super speedway ringer, but he certainly is. And that's Jeremy Clements from Jeremy Clements Racing. He snagged his Daytona victory in a very wild 2022 summer race. And in his 27 starts there, he has the one win, one top five and three top tens. Uh, but he's good on the super speedways uh, if he doesn't get caught up in uh, some other issues. So uh, there are also eight other drivers that we can keep our eyes on uh, that have multiple top five finishes at Daytona in the Xfinity Series. Of course, that's led by Justin Algaro with his eight top fives. But there's also A.J. Allmendinger, who has four. Ryan Sieg and Jeff Burton are tied with three. And Riley Earps, Austin Hill, Brandon Jones, and Parker Kligerman all have two. So I, any one of those drivers are drivers to keep your eyes on this weekend. Absolutely. Another thing that's, uh, that's interesting to, uh, to, to keep, uh, keep an eye on this weekend is we've got multiple female competitors who are attempting to, uh, to uh, compete this weekend in the Xfinity Series race. In fact, it's the, uh, the first time since team that we've had multiple female drivers trying to compete. Uh, and that's when we had Claire and Paige Decker who attempted to qualify for the NASCAR, NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Iowa Speedway. Uh, and then we, uh, that's the, the last time that we had multiple female drivers trying to compete in an Xfinity Series event. The last time an Xfinity, a NASCAR Xfinity Series race had multiple female competitors qualify and compete in the race was 2024, or 2014 at Kansas Speedway when Jennifer Joe Cobb and Milka Duno both completed, competed in the event. Um, this weekend, two women will attempt to start the United Rentals 300, Haley Deegan and Natalie Decker. Both names are familiar. Both names have uh, had multiple starts in the NASCAR Crash and Truck Series as well as the Xfinity Series. Uh, Haley Deegan will be running full-time this year, uh, and she's entering her rookie season in the NASCAR Xfinity Series with AM Racing. Uh, she's going to be making her Xfinity Series debut at Daytona, and she has made three starts at the 2.5-mile track in the NASCAR Truck Series with a best finish of 17th in 2021. 
Natalie Decker will be looking for redemption behind the wheel of the number 36 DGM Racing Chevrolet for her second Xfinity Series attempt at Daytona International Speedway. The third start was at the track in the last season's summer Daytona race, which she fell victim to a crash and finished 35th. All right, so uh, that's going to be fun to watch as well to see how both of those drivers do uh, this weekend at Daytona. Now, it's a new year. That means we've got a new uh, set of Sunoco Rookie of the Year class, Uh, and there's, what, five drivers on this list, and they're all going to be interesting to watch for their individual reasons. Uh, First off, uh, we've got Jesse Love, 19 years old, uh, he should be a familiar name now because he's uh, already had a great deal of success. Uh, but this year, he's going to be behind the wheel of the number two Chevrolet for Richard Childress Racing, uh, and he's coming to the Xfinity Series after winning the 2023 Arkham Menard Series title. Uh, he's going to be making his debut, though, in the series this weekend at Daytona. You want to take the next one, uh, Sam, or <laughs> Mike? <laughs> just keep spinning the wheel. It'll, it'll end up on me at some point. Uh, our next one's going to be Dawson Cram. And uh, the 22-year-old 22 year Dawson Cram is going to be driving the number four Chevrolet for JD Motorsports. He's made 12 Xfinity Series starts from 2021 all the way through 2023. And he's going to be making his debut at the International Speedway this weekend as he begins his full-time Rookie of the Year campaign, again, in that number four Chevrolet for JD Motorsports. Okay, a lot of people will remember this name. Uh, won the first uh, Chicago Street Race uh, in his first race in NASCAR. Shane Van Gisbergen, 34-year-old, uh, who took NASCAR by storm last year in that Chicago Street Race uh, in his first ever NASCAR Cup Series race. So now he's going to be back full-time in the Xfinity Series. He's going to drive the number 10 College Racing Chevrolet making his debut this weekend in the Xfinity Series as well as at Daytona. So uh, I can't wait to see what Shane Van Gisbergen does this season. Absolutely. Shane Van Gisbergen is definitely going to be a big name that we're going to be talking about a lot this year in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And another one that we're going to be talking about is going to be Haley Deegan. Remember, she's ran several uh, several seasons in the Craftsman Truck Series, and this year she moves up to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. The 22-year-old Deegan is going to be joining AM Racing behind the wheel of the number 15 Ford. She's made one start in the Xfinity Series, where she posted a 13th place finish at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway in 2022. Um, at three, series, three seasons previous in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, she drove for two different teams. She had middle-of-the-road results, and a lot of people are optimistic that Haley Deacon is going to find her sweet spot in the NASCAR Xfinity Series and is able to capitalize and continue to grow her career now. Yep, time always tells the rest of that story, right? All right, next up we've got Leland Honeyman Jr. Uh, We saw him a bit last year. He made eight starts in the Xfinity Series, uh, but the 18-year-old now is going to be behind the wheel of the number 42 Young's Motorsports Chevrolet. He's making his debut at Daytona um, this Saturday, so a lot to look forward to uh, with all five of those drivers competing for the Sunoco Rookie of the Year honor. Uh, We've got a few other notes here, though, for the Xfinity Series, uh, and one of them, we've got a Hollywood star coming to the Xfinity Series this year. 
Yeah, that's right. Frankie Muniz is a fan favorite. He ran full-time in the, uh, the Arkham Menard Series last year, and now he's going to attempt the, his first Xfinity Series start at Daytona. Uh, you may uh, remember the name uh, Frankie Muniz. He was an actor who was uh, probably most notable for his role as Malcolm and Malcolm in the Middle, and also played Agent Cody Banks in a, a feature film. Uh, many other Hollywood projects where Frankie has moved on to become a professional race car driver, racing in many different series, open wheel, as well as, like I said, the Arkham Menard series last year. Um, he ran full-time in Arkham and finished uh, with one top five and 11 top tens. He's going to be attempting to make his first NASCAR National Series start this weekend. Uh, he's going to be joining Joey Gase Motorsports behind the wheel of the number 35 Chevrolet, and he's going to be working with crew chief Wayne Carroll, Jr., of the opportunity. Oh, all right. I, I am very. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna. I was gonna read his quote there. Yeah, uh, we Nunes usually said, don't uh, read well, those. Oh well, never mind. I guess I won't. No, go ahead and read um, it. Uh, go ahead and do it this time, and then we'll just know for the future. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So, what did Nunes say? Well, he said, "Quote: I am very fortunate to have the unwavering support of Ford and Ford Performance through my NASCAR journey, and I am very humbled yet excited to be teamed up with Joey Gase Motorsports to attempt my NASCAR Xfinity Series debut next weekend at Daytona International Speedway. I'm excited as well. I really do like Frankie Muniz, and I wish him the very best. He has one ARCA start at Daytona, where he started 16th and finished 11th. So, best of luck to Frankie Muniz this weekend." Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, also back for this year in the Xfinity Series is the Dash for Cash with more big checks. Uh, it's de- This uh, program is designed to add elements of unpredictability and drama leading up to and during the designated races. So uh, they also increase on-track competition. Uh, we engage fans and reward and recognize NASCAR Series regular competitors. Uh, as you know, sometimes the Cup Series drivers do come down in the series, uh, but this program is designed to really put a focus on those Xfinity Series regular competitors. Now, the race at Richmond Raceway on March 30th will serve as the qualifier race that will set the four-driver field for the Dash for Cash opener. So the rest of the uh, Dash for Cash races on the schedule, in, there are four of them, all in April, beginning with April 6th at Martinsville, the 13th at Texas Motor Speedway, the 20th at Talladega Super Speedway, and the 27th at Dover Motor Speedway. So, uh, again, Richmond sets the first four-driver field, uh, and then each driver field is set reset with each successive race. So uh, that should be fun to watch. Last season, there were three drivers that banked the big Xfinity Series. They won uh, that check at Talladega and Dover. It was Justin Algauer pocketing the cash at Richmond, and John Hunter Nemechek hoisted that big check out in Martinsville. So uh, looking forward to watching that uh, play out in this season. All right, next we're going to move on to the NASCAR Cup Series big season opener, the Daytona 500 at Daytona International Speedway this Sunday, February the 18th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And Fox will have a lot of pre-race coverage starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll run that distance of 500 miles over 200 laps. 
the first stage ends on lap 65 for 65 laps. Stage two ends on lap 130. Uh, and the final stage will end on lap 200 for 70 laps. Uh, a lot to look forward to. This is the big uh, kahuna of NASCAR, the Daytona 500. That's right. Not only is it the biggest race of the year, it's the first race of the year. I know we had the, the class at the Coliseum a couple weeks ago. That's over. That's done with. That's not really, uh, yeah, okay, it's a race. They're on the racetrack. They're driving. This is the race. The capital T, capital R, the race in the 2024 NASCAR Cup Series season officially begins with the Daytona 500. All eyes are going to be on the World Center racing as the competitors get ready to jump into the 2024 season. And the Cup Series' biggest event, the Daytona 500, is going to be at Daytona National Speedway. Like you said, Sharon, Sunday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio will all be carrying coverage of the event. This marks the 70th season for the NASCAR Cup Series, uh, starting all the way back in 1949 through now the 2024 season. During that time, the series has run 2,750 points-paying races and they crowned 36 different driver champions, including the newest title holder, Team Penske's Ryan Blaney, who won the Cup Series championship last year. Blaney has joined an elite list of active champions that include Jimmy Johnson winning the title in 2006 all the way through consecutively to 2010, as well as 2013 and 2016 for a total of seven championships. Kyle Busch, your champion in 2019, as well as 2015. Joey Logano, another two-time champion in 2018 and 2022. Brad Keselowski, the 2012 Cup Series champion. Martin Truex Jr. from 2017. Chase Elliott in 2020, and finally Kyle Larson in 2021 round out your active NASCAR Cup Series champions will be looking to either add to their total wins for the Daytona 500 if you're somebody like Jimmy Johnson or Joey Logano, or score their very first Daytona 500 win if you're somebody like Kyle Busch who spent nearly 20 years trying to do it, Brad Keselowski who's not too far <laughs> behind, or Martin Truex. Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson have fewer attempts in the Great American Race, but want to win it just as bad as their fellow competitors. Absolutely, this is a big point-paying race. Uh, the clash was just practice time uh, for these guys. No points awarded, uh, but this is when the points start, and this is when uh, the road to a championship begins. So. Uh, definitely looking forward to uh, not only the Daytona 500, but the entire 2024 season. Now, Mr. Worldwide is going to get the party started at Daytona on the sunny beaches in Central California, uh, playing host to the official uh, kickoff of the 36 race points paying series championship season for the NASCAR Cup Series. And no better person uh, there is to help get everyone feeling good than the multi-platinum recording artist Armando Christian Perez, better known as Pitbull, forming the pre-race show on the ball field prior to the Daytona 500. Pitbull announced the next iteration of the Track House album series, uh, and that's set for release in February. The lyrics and cover of the EP titled Track House Daytona 500 Edition is going to reflect key elements of NASCAR's biggest race. Uh, Pitbull joined Track House as a co-owner in 2021, connecting the world of music and racing and to unite, inspire, 
expands globally. He has done a lot to bring new people and new eyes into this sport. And uh, I'm really excited uh, to see him doing this pre-race concert. And uh, also this uh, next in the series of the Trackhouse uh, albums that he's putting out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's been a, a great force for the sport. He has so much energy and excitement and enthusiasm that he brings, not just to his performances on stage, but even if he's just in the garage area or on pit road, when he gets interviewed there, he's so excited and so passionate about the sport. And I think that really bleeds over to, uh, to the excitement and fan engagement. Now, somebody who's not as excited as Alex Bowman. He had the opportunity to tie Cale Yarbrough, Bill Elliott, and Buddy Baker for the series lead in Daytona 500 polls, but unfortunately last night we saw that wasn't to happen. Hendrick Motorsports' Alex Bowman uh, was hunting for his third or for three qualifying records uh, leading into the Daytona 500. The first record would be if he won the poll on Thursday, uh, on Wednesday evening. He would have tied NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill Elliott, who won in 1985 through 1987, as well as 2001. Kale Yarbrough, the poll winner in 1968, 70, 78, and 84, as well as Buddy Baker from 1969, 73, 79, and 80. And this would have put him in the, uh, tied in the all-time lead for Daytona 500 polls with four each. Uh, Bowman posted his third Daytona 500 poll last season, uh, as well as in 2018, 2021, and like I said, last season in 2023. Bowman would have been aiming for, would have been to an and his record of six straight starts in the front row for the Daytona 500 to seventh. Unfortunately for Bowman, he did qualify 17th last night. Um, so he, uh, up until that point, he had not qualified worse than second in the Great American Race since 2018. Prior to Bowman reaching the five straight, the previous record of consecutive front row starts in the Daytona 500 was three, and it occurred three times from Fireball Roberts, 1961 to 1963, Richard Petty, 66 to 68, Bill Elliott, 85 to 87, Ken Schrader, 88 to 90, and Dale Earnhardt, 94 to 96. And rounding out the third qualifying record that Bowman was attempting for was uh, if he had won the poll again this season, he would have become just the sixth different driver to win consecutive Daytona 500 polls, joining Fireball Roberts from 61 to 63, Buddy Baker from 79 to 80, Bill Elliott in 85, 86, and 87, Ken Schrader in 88, 89, and 90, and his Hendrick Motorsports teammate, Chase Elliott, in 2016 and 2017. All right. Now, if you're looking to uh, pick your fantasy pick for the Daytona 500 this week, you might want to look to a Chevrolet driver. They're on a hot streak. They're looking to win their 12th consecutive uh, Daytona 500 pole. I know it was. Uh, it actually ended up being a Ford, right? Absolutely. Joey Logano and Michael McDowell actually swept the front row this weekend, and they were both in yellow Fords. So Chevrolet's 12th consecutive Daytona 500 poll was not meant to be this year. It was not meant to be, but uh, from 2013 to 2023, uh, several drivers have won that poll. Um, but let's go ahead and go to the next uh, Hendrick Motorsports. They were looking for their fourth consecutive Daytona 500 poll, and that didn't happen either. No, Hendrick Motorsports leads the NASCAR Cup Series at Daytona 500 polls with a total of 16 polls for the Great American Race. That's a whopping 10 more than the next organization on the list, which is Richard Childress Racing, who only has six. 
Hendrick Motorsports holds the record for the most consecutive Daytona 500 polls with five straight from 2015 to 2019. And this weekend, Hendrick Motorsports was looking to score their fourth consecutive Daytona 500 poll and their ninth in the last Daytona five, uh, last 10 Daytona 500s. Now, last night didn't go the way Hendrick Motorsports had hoped. They did get three of their four cars into that final 10-car round of qualifying, but Alex Bowman missed out. But unfortunately, neither Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, nor William Byron could put any of those 300 Motorsports Chevrolets in the front row. Nine different drivers, though, have contributed to Hendrick Motorsports' record of 16 Daytona 500 polls. Ken Schrader in 1988, 89, and 90. Jeff Gordon in 1999, as well as 2015. Jimmy Johnson in 2002 and 2008. Mark Martin in 2010. Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2011. They uh, chased Elliott uh, consecutively in 2016 and 2017. We already talked about Alex Bowman in 18, 21, and 23, William Byron in 2019, and Kyle Larson in 2022. Hendrick Motorsports is going to have to try and resume some of those streaks, starting with the 2025 Daytona 500, because it all came apart last night. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, the Daytona 500 qualifying is so different from what we do the rest of the year. So I'm going to kind of go over that just a little bit here so that um, fans that are maybe new to the sport or or uh, just checking it out will understand how this is going to happen and that it only happens for the Daytona 500. Uh, they had the single car qualifying on Wednesday. Uh, and they had two rounds with the top 10 qualifiers in round one moving on to the second round. The fastest two cars in round two then lock into the front row starters for Sunday's race. Now, we know who's going to be the front row starters. What we don't know is what the rest of the field is going to be. So for the rest of the starting grid, that's going to be decided tonight. There's going to be two 60-lap qualifying races. First, the single-car qualifying results will set up the lineups for the blue-green vacation dual races tonight. Our cars finishing first, third, fifth, seventh, in other words, the odd number placers uh, in single-car runs will comprise the field for the dual one. The cars in the even-numbered starting positions, uh, two, four, six, eight, and so on, will qualify uh, for and comprise the field for the second dual or the dual two. The results from the vacation duels then will set the starting lineup for the Daytona 500. Now, if more than 40 cars are entered in the race, the two fastest open cars without a charter in a single car qualifying will lock their way into the race, regardless of the results from Thursday's duel. The final two spots in the 40-car field will be determined by the best finishers in those qualifying races. So um, the order of the lineup is actually going to be set up tonight with the duels, uh, but we know who the 40 drivers are going to be, right? Well, we do know uh, there are actually more than 40 drivers in the field. Now, last night on speed, uh, there were two drivers who were able to, uh, to lock themselves into the Daytona 500 based on their single lap qualifying speed last night. Those two drivers were David Reagan, the number 60 RFK Ford, as well as Anthony Alfredo and the number 62 Beard Motorsports Chevrolet. Notably, seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson 
uh, is attempting to qualify for the Daytona 500. However, he was not one of those two drivers who locked themselves into the great American race on speed. Tonight, Jimmy Johnson, the seven-time champion, has the opportunity to qualify for the Daytona 500 based on speed, or based on uh, how he races in his respective dual race. But if that number 84 uh, Legacy Motor Club Toyota does not uh, finish well enough in the blue-green vacation duel, seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson may not qualify for the Great American Race. So let's take a look at the, a closer look at these blue-green vacation duel because they are so unique that you have to race your way into the Daytona 500. That's right. Uh, so uh, from 1972 to 2004, the duels were each scheduled for 50 laps, and during that time frame, Eight of the dual events had a driver lead 100% of the laps flag to flag. Uh, those drivers were NASCAR Hall of Famer Darrell Waltrip. He was the first to accomplish that beat in 1988. Uh, later on, he was joined by Dale Earnhardt, who did it in 91 and 98, Davey Allison in 91, Ernie Irvin in 96, Bill Elliott in 2000, Ricky Rudd also in 2000, and Jeff Gordon in 2002. That's the last time that that's happened. The race distance was then updated to 60 laps in 2005, and ever since, the most a driver has led in a dual event is 86.7%, or 52 laps of the 60. Now, Eric Almarola uh, did that in 2021. A total of 47 different drivers have won the Cup Series uh, duels, led by NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt. He's got 12 dual victories, seven more than the next competitor. A total of 10 active drivers have won at least one dual event at Daytona, led by Denny Hamlin, who did it in 2008, 14, and 17. Joy Logano also has three in 19, 20, and 23. Kyle Busch with three in 2009, 13, and 16. The other seven active dual winners include Chase Elliott with two in 2017 and 18, Jimmy Johnson in 10 and 15, Ryan Blaney with just one in 18, William Byron in 2020, Austin Dillon in 21, Brad Keselowski in 22, and Chris Busher in 22. Now, since 1972, seven times a driver has won the duel, he's competed in and then went on to win the Daytona 500 in that same year. The last driver to accomplish that feat was Matt Kenseth, who did it in 2012. He won duel number two and then went on to win the Daytona 500. Pretty cool uh, for Matt Kenseth to be the only driver to have done that. You're absolutely right. And we can't say this enough. There is no greater victory in NASCAR than the Great American Race, the Daytona 500. It's the biggest race in NASCAR, and the Daytona 500 holds such a special place in every stock car racing driver's heart, and fans as well. It's an instant catapult to fame for the victor. It's the pinnacle of a racist career, the crowning achievement that all other drivers aspire to possess, and fans immediately admire. Uh, the NASCAR Cup Series season opener is unlike any other event and holds the prestige among its competitors due to its ever-changing difficulty to master, much less finish. And this year's Great American Race is undoubtedly going to bring all the action and excitement we have grown to love and feverishly anticipate. Remember, some of the biggest drivers in, uh, in the sport have won it many, many times. 
You had uh, Richard Petty, who won seven of them. Jeff Gordon with three. Jimmy Johnson, I believe, has three as well. But then you either have other storylines of Dale Earnhardt, who famously spent 20 years of trying and 20 years of frustration <laughs> before he was finally able to be, uh, to be a victor in the Daytona 500 and was saluted by every man on every team along the road and one of the most special yeah. and memorable moments in the state. If you want to talk about a giant race, Dale, uh, the, the Daytona 500, it does not get bigger than that. Um, Denny Hamlin leads the active drivers with three Daytona 500 wins. Um, he won in uh, 2016, 2019, and 2020. And our most recent winner is JTG Daugherty's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He won last year's Daytona 500. He'll be looking to repeat against the 39 other competitors on the track who also want to win this most special and big race in our NASCAR Cup Series. Yes, talking about uh, wanting to keep the streak going. The Clash winner, Danny Hamlin, is hoping to keep those victories coming in. Uh, he won out at Las Vegas uh, in the Clash at the uh, uh, L.A. Memorial Coliseum on the quarter mile for the Bushwick Clash. Uh, but due to inclement winter, weather, uh, it was run on Saturday instead of Sunday, which is kind of unusual, but a good call by NASCAR to uh, move that up. Uh, so uh, we're real happy that uh, they were able to do that and get that race in. Um, <clears throat> he had, Denny Hamlin managed to grab his fourth flash victory. He won uh in addition to the 2006, 14, and 16 he won this year, moving him into second in the all-time Clash wins list behind the NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt, who has six wins. The victory by Hamlin also delivered Joe Gibbs Racing its series-leading 12th Clash win. Uh, they won in 01, 02, 06, 07, 12, uh, 15, 14, 16, 20, 21, 23, and 24. So Joe Gibbs Racing is a big Clash winner. Denny Hamlin now looks to just become the second driver to win the Clash and the Daytona 500 in the same season, um, <clears throat> joining NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett, who did it in 96 and 2000. In total, five drivers have won the Bushlight Clash and the Daytona 500 in the same season. They include Bobby Allison, who did it in 80, Bill Elliott in 87, Dale Jarrett, as we mentioned, in 96 and 2000, Jeff Gordon in 97, and Denny Hamlin in 2016. Can he do it again? Well, that's a big question. Uh, one of the person uh, who's going to be trying to stop Denny Hamlin from doing it is last year's winning Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He was looking to become the fifth driver all time to win back-to-back Daytona 500. Uh, JDG already racing's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is making his return to the Daytona International Speedway as the defending Daytona 500 chan- uh, winner. And this weekend, he's going to be looking to add to his name to a list of multiple Daytona 500 winners. Uh, if Stenhouse does win this weekend, he'll become just the fifth different driver to win consecutive Daytona 500s, joining Richard Petty, who did in 73 and 74, Kill Yarborough, 83 and 84, Sterling Marlin, 94 and 95, and Denny Hamlin in 2019 and 2020. Can Ricky Stenhouse do it? Uh, anybody's guess, and this is a, a toss-up race, because we, uh, the Daytona 500 produces so much unpredictability, and we see so many uh, different first-time winners. I mean, it, look, look how often it's happened. Isn't that right, Sharon? Yep, that's going to be 
that's going to be the wrinkle uh, for those drivers looking to uh, keep their streaks alive uh, is the first-time winners at Daytona happen so often. Uh, <clears throat> say you remember the first time uh, Daytona International Speedway has been known for making memories that last in the NASCAR Cup Series. And 17 different drivers have scored their first NASCAR Cup Series career poll at Daytona, and 23 different drivers have won their first race in the Cup Series. Uh, let's take a look at the first-time poll winners. Uh, some of the more recent ones, William Byron in 19. Uh, was a first-time pole winner. Austin Sendrick was a first-time race winner in 22. Those are the most recent uh, on the list here, and there is a long list, 23 first-time winners and uh, 17 different pole winners. Uh, Of the 65 Daytona 500 races in the books, nine drivers has uh, have po- nine times the driver has posted their first career Cup Series victory with a win in the event, and the most recent to accomplish the feat was Team Pesky's Austin Sendrick in 2022. So, uh, so again, first-time winners uh, are in the books. Nine different ones. Three other drivers have posted their career first Cup Series victory in points-paying qualifying races at Daytona. Uh, They include Johnny Rutherford, who did that in 1963. Uh, Subsequent drivers were Isaac in 64 and Earl Balmer in 1966. But 15 drivers this weekend are looking for that first career win. Yeah, absolutely. Just looking at the entry list for this uh, season's Daytona 500, we've got 15 different drivers who are going to be attempting to earn their first NASCAR Cup Series win this weekend. Uh, In alphabetical order, we've got Anthony Alfredo, doesn't get much more alphabetical than double A there. Uh, Josh Berry, who's taking over the number four (laughs) car for and returning to the number one Wood Brothers Racing Ford. Ty Gibbs entering his sophomore season, the number 54 uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. Todd Dillon, and also in his sophomore season for Front Row Motorsports. Noah Gregson making his return to the NASCAR Cup Series in the number 10 Stuart Haas Racing Ford. Kaz Grala in an open car for Front Row Motorsports. His qualifying didn't go so well this week, uh, last night. So Kaz Grala is going to be attempting not only to, to make the Daytona 500 uh, his first win, he has to race his way in tonight to even have a chance of doing it. Daniel Hemrick is moving back to the NASCAR Cup Series in the College Racing number 16. Riley Hurst is going to be in the Rick Ware Racing number 15. Carson Hosevar beginning his rookie campaign in the Spire Motorsports number 77. Corey LaJoy, his third year back in the Spire Motorsports number 7. B.J. McLeod in the currently unsponsored number 78. So if you are looking to get your name on a car for the Daytona 500, B.J. McLeod is your man in that number 78. 78. John Hunter Nemechek, another one returning to the NASCAR Cup Series in the Legacy Motor Club number 42 Toyota. Ryan Priest uh, for his third season in the number 41 Stuart Haas Racing Ford. And Zane Smith starting his rookie season this year uh, driving for Spire Motorsports. Uh, of, the six, of the 15 drivers looking for their first win this recent, uh, weekend, Carson Hosmer is the only one that's going to be making his NASCAR Cup Series track debut at the Daytona International Speedway this weekend. Carson Hosevar has never run at the Daytona International Speedway uh, in the NASCAR Cup Series. And of the remaining 14, 
The best finish at Daytona belongs to Ryan Priest, who finished fourth in the 2021 August race. All right. Uh, the current uh, NASCAR Cup Series champion, Ryan Blaney, is looking to become the sixth defending Cup Series champion to win the Daytona 500. Uh, so the reigning uh, uh, driver from Team Penske, Ryan Blaney, has the opportunity to become just the sixth different driver in series history to win the Daytona 500 as the defending series champion. Five reigning Cup Series champions have gone on to win the Daytona 500 the season after winning the championship. They're now all NASCAR Hall of Famers. Uh, they include drivers like Lee Petty, who did it in 59, Petty in 73, Cale Yarbrough in 77, Jeff Gordon in 99, and Dale Jarrett in 2000. I can't wait to see. I hope Brian Blaney does it. I think that would be cool to see. Absolutely. It'd be a fan favorite. And he certainly wouldn't get the booze like Denny Hamlin would if he was able to, to uh, tie Kale Yarbrough for the second most Daytona 500 wins. Uh, if Joe Gibbs Racing, Denny Hamlin is able to uh, add to his total Daytona 500 wins, uh, which include the 2016, 2019, and 2020 versions of the Great American Race. Uh, he will tie NASCAR Hall of Famer Carol Yarbrough, who has four of those uh, for the second most wins in the Daytona 500. Only six drivers all time in, NASCAR, in the NASCAR Cup Series have scored three or more Daytona 500 victories, led by NASCAR Hall of Famer the King, Richard Petty, with seven wins in the Great American Race. Kel Yarbrough, as we mentioned, with four. Bobby Allison with three. Dale Jarrett with three. Jeff Gordon, Denny Hamlin also uh, with three races apiece in a Daytona 500. Legacy Motor Club's driver Jimmy Johnson will become the seventh driver to win three Daytona 500s this weekend. The seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion has two Daytona 500 wins to his name, hoisting trophies in 2016 and 2013. But first, Jimmy Johnson has to race that number four, uh, 84 Legacy Motor Club Toyota into the Daytona 500 tonight in the Blue Green Vacation Dual Race. Correct. Okay, I'm just going to mention this next topic. Hendrick Motorsports has the chance to tie Petty Enterprises for the series' most Daytona 500 wins uh, this weekend. Uh, that's all we're going to say there because I want to make sure we cover uh, the 2024 Sunoco Rookie of the Year class. Four drivers are going to be competing. Barry, uh, Josh Barry, Kat Grellis, uh, uh Sammy Smith. Is that Sammy Smith? Zane Smith, I'm sorry, yeah, and Carson Hosevar. I'm sorry, I was trying to check that out. Okay, so uh, this year, uh, the point system mirrors the point structure that awards a season-long championship, including stage points and playoff points, and the eventual Sunoco Rookie of the Year, earning the most points throughout the season. As is the case with the season-long point structure, a race will earn a Sunoco Rookie 40 points. And five playoff points, a second-place finisher earns 35 points, and a third-place fin- third finish is 34 points, and so on. Uh, so let's go over our four drivers, starting with Josh Berry. He'll be behind the wheel of the number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford. He takes over that board, previously driven by Kevin Harvick, and he's going to be working with crew chief Rodney Childers this season. Berry made one start at Daytona in the Cup Series last August, for the Legacy Motor Club. He started 29th and finished 22nd, and this is going to be his very first career attempt at the Daytona 500. You want to cover the next one? 
Absolutely. Next up is Kaz Grala. He's going to be in the number 36 front row motorsports Ford for the Daytona 500. They had a mechanical issue last night during Daytona 500 pole qualifying, so he's going to have to race his way in tonight in that number 36 front row motorsports Ford. Uh, but the majority of the season, he's going to run with Rick Rick. Ware Racing in the number 15 Ford, driven by Riley Herbst this weekend. Uh, this weekend, uh, Grala is going to be working with crew chief Seth Barber, and Grala has made three starts at Daytona, posting a best finish of 26th in last season's Daytona 500. Our next driver is Zane Smith, driving the number 71 Spire Motorsports Chevrolet. He's been tapped to drive that number 71 for Spire in the newly formed team working with crew chief Stephen Doran. Smith has made uh, his Daytona 500 career debut just last season when he was driving for Front Row Motorsports, and he started the event in 17th and was able to race his way Rounding out our NASCAR Cup Series rookie class this year is going to be Carson Hosevar in the number 77 Spire Motorsports Chevrolet. He's going to be replacing Ty Dillon, and that car is going to be collaborating with crew chief Luke Lambert. This weekend is going to mark the NASCAR Cup Series track debut for Carson Hosevar at the Daytona National Speedway. So he has no experience there. Last night during Daytona 500 pole qualifying was the first lap that Carson Hosevar ever turned at Daytona National Speedway in the NASCAR Cup Series car as he starts his rookie series campaign. All right. Uh, We're going to have to let that be it for our preview part of the show here tonight, uh, or today, I should say, uh, because it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, They're not here yet. I am going to just mention a couple of other things here, if I can get to it. For some reason, it doesn't want to scroll here. Um, We do have a few people that are going to be uh, celebrities at the Daytona 500 this weekend. Grammy award-winning artist DJ uh, Khaled is named the honorary starter for the Daytona 500. We also have uh, the newly crowned Miss America serving as the honorary pace car driver for the Great American Race. That's Madison Marsh. She was recently crowned Miss America. Um, And then thanks to Chase Elliott, when the number nine wins, fans are going to win. Uh, because NASCAR fans can visit Hooters on Mondays after the cup race and ask a server for free fried pickles with a drink purchase uh, if uh, Elliot wins the Daytona 500. Um, when Elliot in the number nine Hendrick Motorsports finishes in the top ten, customers uh, can ask for ten free wings with any ten wing purchase at Hooters. So, uh that's really cool. Have you watched the feed on Netflix yet, uh, no, Mike? No, I haven't. I, I canceled my Netflix subscription a couple months ago. Um, they are <laughs> trying to lure me back with this NASCAR full speed. I've heard nothing but really good things about it. Um, and if you're not familiar, NASCAR full speed is Netflix's newest sport docuseries that they're streaming now. And it gives a perfect primer for this Sunday season opening Daytona 500. The five-episode series premiered on January 30th, giving viewers a raw behind-the-scenes look at the characters, the chaos, and the competition that define the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. They had unprecedented access at and away from the track, with, uh, like God was like three-time Daytona 500 champion Denny Hamlin, as well as 2015 Daytona 500 champ Joey Logano, Brian Blaney, Ross Chastain, and more. 
Uh, if you want to see NASCAR full speed, it's, it can't, it's can't miss binge action for newcomers and longtime fans alike. And that's streaming right now on Netflix. Yes, indeed. And there's a couple of milestones that are happening this weekend that I want to mention just very quickly. Daniel Hemrick will reach his 50th Cup Series start at Las Vegas. Tyler, I guess they're not this weekend, but they're coming up. Tyler Reddick will reach his 150th Cup Series start at Phoenix, the very first Phoenix race this year. And Christopher Bell will also reach 150 Cup Series starts at Coda this year. So watch for those milestones uh, that are coming up. All right. We have a couple of people here for Hot Topics Sound Off. I believe one of them is Tommy. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, how are y'all? Glad to be back. Glad NASCAR is back. Yeah, I was in disbelief today when I saw your name pop up and available. I, I thought you were working during this time. Yes, ma'am. I usually am unavailable uh, for these, but I am available today. Well, I'm super happy about that. Also, I believe we have Andy Lasky joining us. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hi, Sharon. Uh, good to be back. Thanks for having me. And I do owe you an apology. Um, I don't know if you saw my message, but of all days, um, my phone didn't charge last night for some weird reason. So it was sitting in another room on silent charging all morning. So I feel bad because I would have been available to do the show. And I'm very, very <laughs> sorry you had to talk to Mike for the last hour and a half. So, <laughs> but um, oh, my, yeah, I'm here. Air for one minute and you're taking shock. <laughs> <laughs> I have to fill in for Jay today, I suppose. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry about that. But I am here and I'm excited to get the season going with everybody. I think it's going to be fun, and um, I just always love Daytona Week, so definitely glad to be back. Yeah, just now, add some clarification. Fill in for Jay. Uh, yeah, Jay yeah. Let me just clarify today. <laughs> yeah, let me just clarify. Uh, Jay has a 12-week commitment, so he's not going to be able to host for the first 12 weeks of the season. So filling in for Jay was going to be Brian Everly today, and I think less than a half hour before the show started, uh, he came on and said something uh, unexpected came up at work, some fire drill event (laughs) that was going to take multiple hours. Uh, kind of prevented him from being the co-host today. So I was frantically trying to reach out to you, Andy, uh, to see if you could fill in. And then with eight minutes left to go, uh, Mike said, well, I could do it, even though I'm unprepared. (laughs) Um, We tapped him on the shoulder and said, call in. (laughs) We're going to make this work. Yeah, I feel bad. My fo- I usually have my phone with me, and this is one of those like rare instances where it just was in another room, and I'm like, well, I haven't heard anything this morning, so I'll just get it charged and ready for 1 o'clock. So, um, well, here I am, and I'm ready to go. And uh, actually, it's probably good for Mike to fill in. Uh, actually, doing the full show is kind of fun, so hope you enjoyed it. It actually is a good time usually doing the full thing. So hopefully you had fun with it, Mike. Well, yeah, oh, I thought he did time. a great job. I, I, I guess I didn't mess it up too bad. No, he did a great job, and and I hope you did have fun doing it, uh, Mike, because uh, I know it was kind of on the fly, and uh, I was kind of directing you throughout the show, but I I think it all worked out well. All right. Well, that's great to hear. I appreciate the kind words. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go ahead 
and uh, th that could be bad news for you in the future because if we can't get a hold of anybody for hot topics, we might be tapping you on the shoulder again at some point in the future. Or for uh, no the show, I mean. No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, no good deed <laughs> exactly. goes unpunished, huh? Exactly. All right, let's go ahead and start off with our first hot topic here before we run out of time for hot topics. Andy, why don't you kick us off? Well, this is kind of a, a debate going back to the clash last weekend, but um, where should the clash location be moving forward after this season? Ah, the million-dollar question, and everybody's got an opinion. Um, Tommy, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to go old school, and I think that it should be at Daytona. I like the Daytona Speed Weeks where the Bush Clash would – be one Sunday, and then the next Sunday it was the 500. Um, and I'm totally fine with it being the Daytona Oval or the Daytona Road Course. Um, that is my top option. Um, I do think it's time for the Clash at the Coliseum to go away. Nothing against it. I mean, I thought the last two races there compared to the first one, you know, they had made improvements, and it wasn't a bad race, but I just don't think that it being all the way out there in LA doesn't make much sense. And, you know, I know rain affected it this, this year, but um, there was really no fans there in the stands because of the weather. And I just think that they need to reconsider the LA market. And, um, you know, other than Daytona, the only other thing I could think of that would be a good option in my opinion would be, um, I think they were talking about doing, like, an exp an expedition race in, like, another country or something. I mean, that would be cool, but it would be further than L.A. But, you know, preferably at Daytona, so that way they can do speed weeks. That's my opinion. Although I do agree the, with some of the fans griping on that about how most of the, the last few clashes, like the one Eric Jones won, was a wreck fest, and... If they're and they're running single file, so it gets kind of boring. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they need to do. But my top option would be Daytona, and just, and that's just to bring back the full speed weeks. Okay, Mike. What are your thoughts? Well, you know who else thinks it should be back at the Daytona International Speedway is Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, and he was very, very clear about his desire to see the clash move back. Uh, and he didn't even have as, uh, as ambivalent of an opinion as Tommy. Dale Earnhardt Jr. very clearly wants it back at the NASCAR or at the Daytona International Speedway, oval track only, basically back to the traditional clash, uh, which means eligibility is only for previous season poll winners as well as previous clash winners. And that's it. Back to the traditional thing. And Earnhardt's point was, was pretty valid. The clash isn't supposed to be its own event. It's supposed to be a teaser for the Daytona 500. It's supposed to get fans interested and excited about the Daytona 500. And they keep throwing around the term speed weeks. Well, there is no speed weeks anymore. Speed weeks is broken. It has been broken ever since they moved the class out of Daytona, and they've shortened their way uh, qualifying from the week prior to the Wednesday prior, the day prior to the duels. No practice, no nothing. To be almost a two-week event, it was almost a seamless transition from the Rolex 24-hour race um, through to the 
two weeks of speed weeks at Daytona International Speedway. You have the Rolex 24. You have the World Series of Asphalt at New Smyrna Speedway. You had events at Volusia Speedway. You had so much to do in that Central Florida area. If you were a race fan, you had to, to pick and choose what you wanted to go visit. Now, if you want to go there, there's I'd be surprised if there's half the number of on-track events to, to go take a look at. Uh, at this point in the Daytona area. And it's a real shame because it was, it took away from the local economy as well as taking away from fans, seeing a lot of great racing action on the racetrack. And I agree with Dale Jr. I really think that we need to move it back to Daytona, to the Oval, even though, uh, yes, I understand there were criticisms of, well, teams just use it as a test session for the Daytona 500, or it turned into a wreck clown show, like the, the last one that they ran on the Oval. Those are valid criticisms. I get it. But I think in the name of tradition and as well as the name of expanding back to the traditional speed weeks concept, I think moving the class back to the Daytona International Speedway is uh, the right move. However, I don't know that NASCAR is going to be willing to give up the Southern California market, even though they've been chasing this market for probably the better part of 20 years and have never gotten a foothold in Southern California NASCAR wants to keep trying the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And I don't think that they're willing to move the sport completely out of Southern California with the loss of Fontana, uh, at least going through a reconstruction process, if not totally eliminated and not coming back. The only option that they have for Southern California is this clash in the LA Coliseum. They can't run a points race in the Coliseum. There's just too many cars on the racetrack. That leaves their own viable option. And Steve O'Donnell talked about this. Alternatives to the Coliseum in the Southern California market are none. So what option does NASCAR have other than the clash with the Coliseum? According to Steve O'Donnell, there's nothing out there. As much as I'd like to see the class move back to Daytona, unfortunately, I can't be too optimistic that it's going to happen, at least not in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I agree with uh, a lot of what you guys have both said. Um, I do think that traditionally, uh, I miss Speed Weeks. I wish we did have the clash there with all its faults. Uh, it still created a lot of buzz around all the activities that were happening in that southern, in that uh, South Florida area. Uh, and it's not even South Florida; it's really like mid Florida or whatever. Um, but yeah, they they need to. Uh, <clears throat> the World Series of Asphalt is a huge event. Uh, I would think that uh, some of their Attendance may have fallen off. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just guessing right now. But uh, I think that having the clash there, uh, people plan their vacations around that event. And so I do think traditionally, uh, even with all of its faults, I think they need to have a clash back at Daytona. But Mike brings up an excellent point. <clears throat> NASCAR is uh, looking at this. Uh, from a couple of other different perspectives. They are a business, and they have to look at things from a business perspective. And the South Florida or the South uh, California market, uh, that West Coast market is huge for them. Um, and when they had the Coliseums, uh, the first two events at the Coliseum were well attended. Uh, and it brought new fans, and that's two of the goals that NASCAR is looking for, uh, and check and check. Uh, they accomplished those goals with the races at the Coliseum. The other factor that I think needs to uh, be 
put into consideration here too is the fact that Fontana was closed down um, for them to rebuild a short track. Uh, Auto, I'm sorry, Auto Club Speedway uh, was shut down in order to build that short track. Uh, and they are doing that. They're building a short track there. So without the without that Auto Club Speedway race, uh, they were looking for another venue in order to bring fans and keep fans engaged uh, in an event. And the clash was an event uh, that was happening out there in California. So I understand why they had it there. I understand why they're looking at that. I think uh, Auto Club Speedway is on track to be back on the schedule for the uh, 2025 season. Uh, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think they're looking to bring that track back on the schedule and do that West Coast swing uh, to include Auto, uh, Auto Club Speedway. Um, but I'm hoping, um, and I'm not sure what the attempt for the clash was at Daytona, if they were selling out seats for that. Uh, they were definitely selling a lot of seats for the clash at the Coliseum. That was historic. Uh, there, with so many different events happening at uh, the Coliseum, uh, the Olympics, uh, and to have NASCAR racing there as well, and added to the list of historic events that happened at that uh, venue is just amazing. But um, I liked it. I liked having it as the uh, a part of the Speed Weeks at festivities, and I miss it not being there. So I wish they would bring it back. Uh, although I do understand that NASCAR has to look at it from that business perspective. Andy, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, you were talking about uh, Auto Club Speedway. I think um, I think they were last I heard was that they didn't think it'd be back next year, but maybe the year after. I hope it does. Okay, um, it'd be cool to see it come back as a short track, and I think that's you know where you can tap into the Southern California market, you know, with the existing facility. Um, and of course, you've got Sonoma to the north, which you know fills the void of the upper you know portion of California, and I think probably brings people down in from you know the Pacific Northwest or whatever, but um, I hope, yeah, I hope, you know, Auto Club isn't dead. I hope that it comes back. Um, you know, I think that reincarnated as a short track is a very intriguing idea. So I'm definitely hopeful for that. But whenever that is, if it's next year or the year after, I think they said maybe 26. But on the topic at hand, um, I saw Dale Jr.'s comments, and I 100% agree with him. Um, you know, I think that the, to me the Bush clash or – when I started, it was the Bud Shootout. I think years ago it was the Clash, but whatever it's called, it was always intended to be for previous season poll winners and previous winners of the race. It wasn't supposed to be for everybody, you know, and that's kind of what made it fun is that it was for an exclusive group of drivers that were able to go out there and race, you know, and, and yeah, maybe they were using it as a test session for the 500, but for me, it was always cool to have that race be, you know, a week or so before the 500 and, and you know, be the, the first action of the year at the Daytona International Speedway. And, and Junior, you know, brought up a really good point. It was supposed to be a preview for the 500. You know, you'd see them out there drafting in, in a pack. And, you know, maybe it was only 20 cars or whatever, but it was kind of like this little sneak preview of what you would see the following week. And I completely agree with that assessment 
I don't, you know, and, and like Tommy said, I have nothing against the the class of the Coliseum. I enjoyed them racing there. I thought the racing was good there. I really enjoyed this year's rendition. But I I just think that, you know, from a traditional standpoint, getting back to the basic core roots of what the the clash is, I think that running it at Daytona for, an, you know, a selected group of drivers that are eligible based off of the criteria that I just mentioned is the way to go. So I, I don't know if they'll get back to that or not, uh, but I hope they do. Um, and like Mike said, Speed Weeks is really, you know, a small picture of what it once was. And I, you know, would agree that maybe we don't need to bring all the practice and qualifying back that we saw. But I, I think that it, it, to me, is a really, and this is probably a different hot topic, but to me it's crazy that the only on-track action before racing tonight was one lap of qualifying yesterday, in which that's the only time the car's been on the track. So we go into tonight with... Ford and Toyota not even knowing what the car is going to race like because they have new bodies into a qualifying race that will determine whether or not, you know, for some guys, if they make the field or not. So I I know that's off topic and that's something completely different, but I just think that, you know, bringing things back to where you have a reasonable amount of practice and you have, you know, the qualifying and the qualifying races like we still have, you know, with with the Bud shootout, you know, the previous weekend. To me, that, that old format was, was cool and it was fun. And I think if you're going to move an event around, you know, to, to different venues or different countries, different locations, maybe do it with the All-Star race. I really like where it's at right now at North Wilkesboro, but, you know, maybe that's a race that you move around and, and showcase the sport in different areas because that's supposed to be an All-Star event. But to me, the the clash and what was just the bud shootout that to me was always intended to be this event to kind of kick off speed week at Daytona. So I know we tried the Coliseum experiment. I don't think it was a failure. I liked it there, but for me, you know, getting it back to where it was would be the right step in, in the right direction to go. Okay. Tommy, your follow-up. Yeah, I agree with all of y'all in junior. Um, when I first started watching, it was called the Bud Shootout, and it was like a pre-taste of, like, you know, before the 500. And, I mean, you got to see all the new paint schemes. Like, I'll never forget Kevin Harvick running that. Um, instead of it being black and silver, I think it was red and silver. Like, they ran special paint schemes for it, and, you know, I don't know. It was just a good race right before the 500 and the duels. And I just feel like they should bring back the the speed week. Um, You know, like Andy said, I don't think that the clash was a failure. I just don't think that they need to be in LA. I think that it's too far to start the season. And I mean, I get why they're doing it. And then they're talking about doing an an expedition race in, like, Mexico or Canada or something instead of doing the Clash, which is even further than L.A. Just bring it back to Daytona. And, um, I mean, even if you don't want to do the Oval, do the road course. I thought the one year they did the road course as the Bud Shootout was was cool. Um, But, you know, Rockingham and North Wilkesboro are also close by. You know, do it there or something. I mean – or when they get Auto Club redone, if they want to go back to California, do it there. 
I mean, it is cool that they did it where, the you know, at the Coliseum where all the history is. But uh, just bring it back to Daytona. What I feel like NASCAR needs to hire Dale Jr. as a consultant and just do what Jr. says. Okay. Um, Mike, follow up. I mean, that could just be a tagline for all of NASCAR. Just do what Dale Jr. says. Um, yeah, I mean, I do, I do find it kind of funny, right? So NASCAR got rid of qualifying. Well, not they got rid of qualifying during COVID, but it has since come back. But they got rid of almost all practice during COVID, and that has never come back. And the excuse that they gave for – uh, for getting rid of practice at the expense of the teams was, hey, well, we're going we're gonna to save these teams a lot of money by not making them do practice. Okay, cool. What do we do with that team's money? Pack your bags, boys. We're driving all the way to Los Angeles for a non-point exhibition race in the Los Angeles Coliseum, and then we're going to drive all the way back to Daytona for speed five days instead of speed weeks is now speed five days. And then we're going to drive all the way back to the West coast for the so-called West coast swing. So the money savings of pulling the plug on most of the Daytona 500 practice sessions, the testing and all that stuff, that whole message gets undercut a bit when you're doing four cross country road trips back and forth in the span of three weeks right there. So what's the solution to that? Well, if they they desperately don't want to put the clash back in Daytona because they want to stay in the Southern California market, they already broke speed weeks. Why don't they just break the, uh, the clash too and move the clash to the second week of the year after the Daytona 500. The the saying always is that the, the NASCAR season doesn't start until the next race after Daytona, right? So the season doesn't really start until the Daytona 500 is behind us. So why don't we just not start the season for another week and do the clash? And then we can start the real schedule after that. Once we do uh, the the Daytona 500 and the clash, once that's all behind us, we can stay on the West Coast and run those West Coast races at Las Vegas and Phoenix and and wherever else on the uh, the clash and wherever else on the West Coast they want to run. So I don't know, just spitballing here for an idea. But you, know, you got kind of the intersection of reality, which is NASCAR is never going to give up Southern California, no matter how little foothold that they gain over there. Uh, and then the tradition of the fans saying, you know, we, we want this race at Daytona. I don't think we're going to have that, that come to a, a, a great conclusion there as far as uh, making everybody happy. But it's going to be what it's going to be. I will say, though, I'm shaking my fist at you kids these days, Andy and Tommy, because – I remember back in the day when it was the class the first time around, and then it became the Bud Shootout, and then it's now it's back to being the clash. But that race has always been the clash for my my old graybeard self. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add here. I agree with all of you guys. I think it belongs at Daytona. Um, I understand why NASA is doing what they're doing, but it doesn't mean that, that uh, I don't miss uh, all of the speed weeks and, and all of the festivities that were around the speed weeks. So I, I really think that um, uh, it belongs at Daytona. Uh, and we'll have to see what NASCAR decides uh, in time to come. 
But Andy, I'm curious to hear your final thoughts. Yeah, I don't really have much to add. I just, um, my my opinion is I'd like to see it, you know, be brought back to the way it was. Um, you know, I don't really, I, we probably talked about this when the, the clash moved from Daytona a few years ago. And quite honestly, I don't really remember what my thoughts were at that time, but I just think having done the Coliseum experiment for three years, um, I just would really like to see it returned back to its traditional week before the 500, um, you know, and I um, really just agreed with everything Dale Jr. said. So, yeah, let's let's just do what Dale Jr. says. And honestly, joking aside, that probably wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, he's someone that really understands the history of the sport, understands tradition, and really just gets it as far as um, what NASCAR should be doing, you know, based upon what they once did. Um, I've always respected his appreciation for the sport. So, um, if the sport did listen to Dale Jr. more, it would be a good thing. <laughs> I agree. Okay, Tommy, you get to pick the next topic. All right. Well, let's go with, um, let's see here. Up for me between Joey and Ty at the clash or, um, the driver changes with Noah being at um, Stuart Haas now. Uh, let's go with Ty and Joey's um, clash dispute. Oh, okay. Uh, Mike? The Gibbs yeah, versus so, so, Logano. Yeah, absolutely. So the beast that Tommy's referring to, if you didn't see it, um, on the track, Joey Logano and Ty Gibbs got into it a few times, shoving each other around. Uh, using each other up, et cetera. And then after the race, there was some words exchanged between the two drivers. Um, no, no, no fish flying or anything like that, but it sounds like that they kind of came to a conclusion of agree to disagree. And I find this really interesting, right? Because Ty Gibbs came into the NASCAR Cup Series with a reputation. He had earned that reputation in the Arthur Menard Series and then continued that reputation in the Xfinity Series of, maybe driving over his head, maybe being a little bit too willing to use up his fellow competitors, et cetera. And I think he was really smart last season to kind of keep his head down, uh, run the laps, learn, and, and not really make waves and rock the boat. But a lot has been made of the decision that Joey Logano made 15 years ago. And to say that Joey Logano has been around for 15 years makes me feel old all over again. But anyway, a lot has been made about Joey very clearly saying, I had to decide to not be the guy that everybody else is going to push around. And he had to start defending himself on the racetrack. Well, Ty Gibbs is in that position now. Uh, because he was keeping his head down and, and, and being a, you know, a decent guy last year, he definitely got pushed around and, and used up a little bit and kind of the welcome to the Cup Series rookie kind of treatment that he got. And now it's Ty Gibbs' turn to assert himself as, I'm not the guy you're going to push around either. I'm going to, I'm going to race you hard. I'm not going to intentionally wreck you. Um, maybe he's going to say, I would, I would hope he's going to, to, to have that message involved there. But anyway, Ty Gibbs has to assert himself as not the, the guy that you're going to push around and use up and, and run up the track and put in the fence because they kind of did that to him last year. And that's going to end up ruffling the feathers of guys like Joey Logano, who are the ones who will use you up if you are – 
somebody that they feel like they can use up. So it's kind of interesting to see the conflict between those two of the guy who famously said, I'm, I decided not to get used up anymore with the guy who now is trying to decide not to get used up anymore. This is the last we've seen of it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Ty Gibbs uh, moves forward with this as he tries to assert himself. Because, like I said, he has that reputation that he earned at Arca and Xfinity. So I think he's still going to need to tread lightly. But if he wants to be successful in the Cup Series, he really does need to assert himself and make sure that he doesn't get taken advantage of on the racetrack. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? I think it's kind of funny um, in many ways um, just because it's almost like Ty Gibbs is is where Joey Logano was like 15 years ago. I like what Mike said. So it's almost like Joey's getting a taste of his own medicine, you know, from uh, how he once was back, you know, years ago. So it's kind of funny. I I enjoy these rivalries. I think it's something to look into because it's probably not going to be the only time these two uh, tangle this year. Um, But, um, you know, I think think Ty Gibbs needs to stand up for himself for sure. He he did just that. Um, Last year was an, I thought, uncharacteristically quiet year for him with all the you know, shenanigans he got himself into in the Xfinity series. You know, last year he, he did exactly what he should have done, which was just have a quiet rookie season. But I think you're going to see a lot of him this year um, in terms of, you know, being aggressive and winning races. I absolutely think he will win races this year. And he may ruffle some feathers in doing so, but, you know, that's what it takes sometimes, um, you know, to be successful. You have to stand your ground. So I just, it's comical to me, though, just because it's like, you know, Joey's ruffled how many feathers over the years, and now he's mad because it happened to him. So it's kind of funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's really all I can say about it. I really want to hear Tommy's take, though, because I know he's a huge Joey Logano fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joey Logano knows how it feels to be in, Joe, in uh, Ty Gibbs' shoes, that's for sure, because he was the driver doing exactly – uh, what you guys are talking about, standing up for himself, and not that many years ago, it seems. Um, and, but let's keep in mind, this sport has become more and more aggressive as as uh, the years have gone by. Um, and, and at least from my perspective, I think that there have been uh, a, a few more tangles than we needed to have on the racetrack. But... Um, and, and we all know Joey Logano becomes an entirely different person. He seems so happy and and carefree when he's not in the race car. But when he gets behind that race car, uh, behind the wheel of a race car, he becomes a different person. He is a competitor, and he is a fierce competitor at that. And um, he's now sitting in the shoes of, uh, let's say, a Tony Stewart or – uh, a veteran driver. He's now the veteran driver uh, that is used to having success on the ra- on the racetrack, and he doesn't want anybody interfering with that. And I think the fact that he uh, is lashing out at um, Ty Gibbs means that he sees him as a uh, competitor that can hold him back. So. That's why he's lashing out. He doesn't want him holding him back. He doesn't want him being in his way. He wants to have his way on the racetrack. And and drivers will tell you they are selfish when they get behind the wheel of their race cars. Uh, they want the track. 
uh, and they want to win, and they don't want anybody getting in their way. Um, and I guess that leads me to my my point about respect. I think, we, and and I know I'm I'm like singing a tune to the an empty choir, if you will, because uh, I, I know that a lot of people know this, but for whatever reason, we don't always show, whatever reason, the drivers don't always show respect to one another when they're on the racetrack. And it's for those selfish reasons that I just outlined. Uh, they they want to win. And Tony Stewart used to say he'd wreck his mother to win a race. Um but again, I think it has to go back to what is the best display of the talent that you possess. You, that's what you want to put on display. You want to put on display that you have the talent to win these races. You don't want to put on display that you wrecked a guy in order to win the race. Um, and that's the thing that I think a lot of these drivers forget about when they get behind the wheel. Um, they forget about that this is about your talent, not about who you've moved out of the way or wrecked in order to win a race. Um, and there is a talent to moving somebody up the racetrack uh, versus wrecking them. And I, I will agree with that part of it. But I don't think that we need to be – and I understand this is, a, this is a sport of passion as well. These guys are passionate about their craft, and they get passionate when they get out of their race car, and they want to they wanna hash that out. I get it. And it creates a lot of um, visibility for NASCAR when that happens. But, again, I'm, I'm tuning in because I want to see them race each other and put their talent on display. I really hope it doesn't become a season of breakfast where we're knocking and pushing each other out of the way in order to win races. And that's my personal perspective. I've made it clear over the years that that's my perspective. Um, but you guys bring up some great points uh, that this is, this is something that happens in our sport. Uh, the new generation comes in and they have to establish uh, their place <clears throat> and gain their respect with the drivers on the track. So, and that's what we see happening between Joey Logano and Ty Gibbs, uh, which we also happen between Ty Gibbs and, or between Joey Logano and his predecessors in, in previous years. So this will play out. I, you guys are right. I don't think we've seen the last of it. I think these guys are, are going to be uh, rivals with one another for a while. Uh, and it'll be interesting to watch it play out. But Tommy, what what are your thoughts? My favorite thing from that whole ordeal was when Ty and Joey were arguing. I think Ty said something along the lines to Joey was, "I've seen you do this multiple times, or my entire life, or something. I grew up watching you do this, or something." I I really just think it's funny. It's one of the reasons why I do, why I do not like Joey. If you touch Joey, you you know, you're a terrible person, you're a hack and all this other stuff, but he can do it to you any day. He can dish it out, but he can't take it. I'm completely on Ty Gibbs' side. Where's Matt Kenseth when you need him to clean it all up? <laughs> um, but to say, though, the reason why I brought this up was because of Ty Gibbs. 
this, he is going to be, I think, the next big superstar in, in NASCAR. I, I was surprised he did not win last year. I really thought he was going to win, win at least one or two races. I don't – I can't remember who was the last rookie to win multiple races. I think it might have been Denny Hamlin, um, his teammate. But I really thought Ty was going to be that one. Um, this year, though, I, I think he's definitely going to win, whether it be at a road course or um, a short track. He's going to get a win or two this year, I think, for sure. That's the reason why I wanted to bring it up. But, man, I just – I just – I do not – I do not like Joey. I find it really funny that he's mad at Ty Gibbs, even though, you know, he's raced like that before. It's just – He's just a hypocrite. That's all I got to say. I really don't like that guy. I mean, you can't you can't dish it and then when you get it back, act like that. He's just he's got to figure that out. Um, you know, I I'll forgive Joey when William Byron wrecks him at Darlington to win a race, like he did to William. And once William has repaid his debts, I might move on and not hate Joey so much. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, well put, and I like I like the the line that you uh, pointed out too, Tommy. Mike, what what's your follow up? Yeah, it's uh, always count on Tommy for some really really good takes on uh, on Joey Logano, uh, but yeah, Ty Gibbs is the real deal. I've been saying that for years. Ty Gibbs is the real deal. I understand his name opened some doors that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been open. But if you look how he performed in the Arkham Knowledge Series and then into the NASCAR Spinning Series, I give – take the name away. He has earned every bit of the recognition and success that he's had. And if you want a, a good identifier of whether a driver is there because they bring money or because they have a name, take away that, that connection there. If, uh, if, say, for example, Brandon Jones ran out of money, he'd be out of a ride in a heartbeat. If Ty Gibbs had a stalling out with his family, there'd be a line out his door of team owners trying to hire him to drive for them because Ty Gibbs is the real deal. And I'm with Tommy. I think Ty Gibbs is going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. I don't know that he's necessarily going to be in championship contention. I think that might be a little bit premature. But if he runs the rest of the season like he ran the clash, I think he's going to be a real contender this year. And I do want to point out there's a huge difference between – um, wrecking somebody, which I agree with you, Sheriff. You know, wrecking somebody is always a foul. That's that's not the way to do it. But when I talk about to, uh, asserting himself, Ty Gibbs needs to to uh, to make it very clear that you are not going to run me up the racetrack and get away with it. You're not going to give me a shot in the rear bumper and and make me miss the corner and not expect to get it back. Because he got that a lot last year, uh, including from Joe Logano, just get run over, run up the racetrack, put in the fence. Um, and I think he needs to assert himself and make it very clear to his fellow competitors that I'm not the guy you're going to do that to anymore because you're going to get it in return. Um, most drivers have to make, to do that. Joey Logano, I, we've talked about before, had good. Chase Elliott was another one. Um, he he's, uh, a, a, tends to be a much more, I don't want to say courteous, but he, he allowed himself to get used up quite a few times in his first few years of the NASCAR Cup Series. Um, and when he started being more assertive, started um, defending himself and not taking crap from other drivers, I think that's really when we saw Chase Elliott break out of the show and start being really, being really successful. 
So I think Ty Gibbs asserting himself is, I'm not the guy you're going to use up. I think that's going to be the key to Ty Gibbs becoming incredibly successful in the NASCAR Cup Series. And I think we saw just the first of it this past weekend, or I guess 10 days ago now, uh, at the Clash at the Coliseum. And I expect to see more of it as the season progresses. And I don't necessarily disagree with Ty, because in today's NASCAR Cup Series, if you're the guy that they think they can run over, they will run you over. So he's got to make himself clear that I'm not that guy. Okay, Andy. Yeah, I guess my only real follow-up to this is that I do enjoy these rivalries. Um, you know, I think they make things interesting um, and keep fans, you know, tuning in, wanting to see what happens. So, it's, um, again, you know, like I said earlier, probably not something that's over with. Um, I'm sure we'll see some other things happen throughout the year. But, um, you know, seeing these emotions and these, these different personalities is good. Um, you know, and I think we need to see more of that emotion and more personality shown. So, um, I – I have no issue with the rivalries. I think it's kind of fun, and, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. Okay. No issue with the rivalry as long as it doesn't uh, end up in uh, something that they uh, – I, I agree they need to address it on the track to a certain degree, uh, but not by wrecking one another. Um, and I do agree with Tommy that if you're going to – if you're going to Race people that way. You got to expect them to come back and get you back <laughs> if you're going to be that aggressive with a driver on the track. So <clears throat> I just don't want it to become. Uh, sometimes they take it over bounds uh, when they address it on the track. I prefer to see them address it off the track. Uh, I I don't mind the rivalry, but. I I do think that as well, if you, if you push somebody up the track, you're going to be you got to expect that somebody else is going to come back and push you up the track. Um, so Mike Mike put that very well. You got to expect it to come back, and and Tommy put it very well too. You can't speak out of two sides of your mouth. You can't complain that somebody does to you what you did to them. Uh, Tony Stewart. <laughs> was a big one with that. He would complain about what somebody did to him. He didn't like people blocking him. But I remember at Daytona 500 when he was blocking and ended up wrecking half the field. <clears throat> so uh, you can't have it both ways. You've got to you've got to uh, establish yourself. Uh, but if you want to be raced with respect, then you've got to race with respect. Uh, and I and you guys are right. That's what Ty Gibbs is trying to establish with Joey Logano. And you're also right. This probably isn't the only time it's going to happen this season. It's probably not the only driver uh, that Ty Gibbs is going to find himself tangled up with at some point in time, especially if he's trying to establish himself. Uh, but I think all drivers need to realize that if you and and the big example that I always remember is Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch at uh, Chicagoland Speedway. A lot of people didn't like that Kyle Busch knocked um, uh, Kyle Larson uh, to win that race. 
But Kyle Larson even said, I did it to him earlier. I expected him to do it to me. Kyle Larson is probably one of the drivers uh, that will race aggressively, but I've never seen him get upset when somebody does it back to him. He always understands that if I do it to you, I better expect it to come back. And I think he's the best example of a driver who understands that, uh, that dynamic of racing um, and that dynamic when it comes to being aggressive on the racetrack. So um, I, I hold him up uh, a little bit higher on that on that tier uh, because he understands that dynamic and he understands somebody. He's going to get it back, and it's not always going to be at the most opportune time. It's going to cost him a racer if he's going to race that aggressively. So, uh, Tommy, what are your final thoughts? I don't have much to add uh, other than I do not like Joey and I'm on Kyle's side. (laughs) And we can count on you for that, Tommy. We love that about you. What's our next hot topic? All right. So, um, We talked about during the main show about Bill Elliott holding the track record at Daytona of uh, over 210 miles an hour for a qualifying lap. And we know in the restricted plate era that those uh, those speeds came down intentionally so. But last night during pole qualifying, Fox Sports did not make the mention of speed in terms of miles per hour a single time. It was exclusively lap times. So I had to look and see what the pole speed for the Daytona 500 was this year. And Joey Logano's uh, lap of 181.946 181.946 miles per hour was the fastest lap turn last night during Daytona 500 pole qualifying. Uh, so okay, uh, Mike. Down with the restricted. Yes. Mike, can you repeat that uh, uh, miles per hour again? It kind of faded out for me, and I didn't catch all of it. Yeah, no problem. Joey Logano's pole last night was 181. Point nine four six, so almost 30 miles per hour slower than the track record. Um, so we consistently ran between 195 to 200 during the Gen 5 and Gen 6 era. Has NASCAR gone too far now in slowing the cars down to the point where they're starting to take away from some of the, the thrill and excitement that, that draws fans to the sport? That's really my discussion point there. Okay, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is kind of a tough. This is a tough topic because, you know, if the cars go too fast, you know, then you start running into cars getting airborne and slipping and, and accidents and all that stuff. So, I can kind of see why modifications were made to slow the cars down. However, um, to me, that 181 for a pole speed is really slow. Like, I mean, I guess. I've come to expect over the years that something in the 190s, at least, you know, is probably respectable. So I, I don't know. It just I guess the point is that the Cup cars are supposed to be the premier stock cars in the in the world, right? And I think if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say the Xfinity Series cars are actually faster. So that's kind of a problem. The Xfinity Series cars are supposed to be the B cars, not the A cars. So when your main product is, is actually slower than your secondary product, I think, you know, some tweaks probably need to be made to that. Um, you know, there is, 
they're supposed to be going fast. It's racing, right? So, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe bump it up another 10 miles an hour, and, and now you're probably in the ballpark of what it should be. But, you know, again, I I kind of get why they maybe slowed them down as much as they did because, you know, they're trying to prevent they're trying to prevent, you know, serious accidents. But as we saw last August, cars can still get airborne and slip. So I don't think you're ever going to fully take that element away. Um, I think the right thing to do in that case was the, the pave over in the back straight away. That I think is going to really help as far as cars getting airborne. So, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think it's too slow. I, I don't think we need to be going a lot faster, but you know, I definitely think that the Cup Series cars being the main product car has do need to be the fastest vehicles. Okay, Tommy. <clears throat> yeah, um, they definitely have slowed the cars down a lot, and I was kind of already expecting it because Ryan Priest's flip last year was pretty violent. Mm-hmm. And the drivers are always talking about slowing the cars down at Daytona and Talladega. But I'm also on Mike's side a little bit, too. I mean, they used to run 200 miles an hour at Daytona and Talladega. And I don't know. It's kind of a scary thought to think of um, this current car they got running 200 miles an hour. I mean, Kurt Busch literally had a concussion that took his career out at Pocono. Um so the cars are running 200 at Daytona and Talladega. Kind of a scary thought. So I don't know, but I I kind of like what Andy just said. You know, maybe don't make it 200, maybe knock it up maybe 10 more miles an hour to make it in the ballpark. But, yeah, the, the fact that the Xfinity Series has faster cars than the Cup Series, so it's kind of like college is better than pro, uh, I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough topic. I mean, it really is. But I would like to see the cars faster because, you know, that's just the way it should be. But I'm also on the side of safety. I don't want to – I mean, was Ryan Priest's crashes – was his crash, you know, and it got a lot of highlights, and I'm glad he's okay. But you certainly don't want to see it all the time. And I agree with that, uh, Tommy. I don't think it's something that we want to see all the time. I've, I've seen some – pretty horrific crashes at uh, Daytona. Uh, I saw Clint Boyer come across the finish line on on the top of his car uh, with it being on fire. Um, I think that from NASCAR's point of view, and we like those fast races, and it's, it's exciting, it's thrilling, but you've got to think about driver safety. And that's why NASCAR's done this. Um, Ryan Priest, you brought up his crash last year. He went he went over several times. He did walk away, uh, but that's that's not what you don't walk away from those things feeling in tip top shape. <laughs> For the next week, he's hurting, and it is painful, and it is not a pleasant experience uh, to go. Uh, you know, over and over multiple times uh, when the car flips. Uh, and that crash landing is, is not a pleasant experience. Um, so I think from the point of view of safety, I think NASCAR has done the right thing. Is it as thrilling for the fans? No, it probably isn't. 
um, and and that th- that's a sacrifice that's made. But when the drivers are saying we've got to slow these cars down, it's not safe. Uh, you got to think about their families too, and what their families are experiencing every time something happens on that track. Um, uh, you know, Ryan Priest's family, I'm sure they they were holding their breath the whole time that car was flipping. Um, so I think from a perspective of safety, I think NASCAR's done the right thing. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a sacrifice for us as fans because it's not what we're used to seeing at Daytona or Talladega or whatever, but I'd rather see the drivers be safe, uh, than to see, um, the thrilling moments, if you will. Um, I, I just think NASCAR has to err on the side of safety. Mike? I think we're all in agreement about not wanting to see anybody get hurt in one of these race cars. Um, but my, my big disagreement here is there is, there's got to be a balance between driver safety and thrilling excitement on the racetrack, right? So you got two opposite mm-hmm. ends of the pendulum. On one side of it, you've got Bobby Allison flipping through the fence in 1987 at Talladega. That's what brought us to the plate. That's probably too far in one direction. The other side of that pendulum is they all stay on pit road and they don't run at all because the safest way, <laughs> the, the best way to keep drivers from getting hurt in race cars is to not drive race cars. So we've got to find a somewhere in between those two that give us the excitement and the thrill and the speed and the, the, the danger, or at least the perceived danger that is what made auto racing, not just NASCAR, but auto racing in general, so popular with people, it is the speed and the, 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 the risk and the perceived danger and all that stuff has still got to be there, at least in some form or another, uh, or else you're sitting on the side of the interstate watching people drive by. And th- that, that balance has really got to be there. And I think the way you preserve that balance is you do things like what Daytona did in the offseason, which is pave the majority of the grass and the backstretch. Yeah. We lost a little bit of the aesthetic of Daytona International Speedway. That grass was nice on the backstretch, but Ryan Priest showed us that that grass is also a big hazard on the backstretch, and he's far from the only one who's done that. He's just one of the more recent ones to do it. So I think making improvements in safety to the car and to the racetracks, I think that's the better road to go down, other than this knee-jerk reaction of every time something bad happens, we're going to slow the cars down a little bit more. Because drivers have shown us time and time again, kind of like what Tommy said, no matter how slow you go, and they're going to find a way to wreck these race cars. So taking away that speed to the point where it's no longer thrilling and exciting, it, it's, it, you're, you're losing something there. You're really, really losing something there. And we're at the point now at 180 miles an hour, somebody goes to the Chevrolet dealership or the Ford dealership, and they buy themselves a Camaro ZL1 or a Mustang Dark Horse. Those cars are capable of driving faster, and don't do it on the public street, but at least theoretically, those cars on the dealer lot are capable of driving faster than their nameplates qualified for the Daytona 500. There's a disconnect there. There's got to be that speed. There's got to be that, that excitement. Or, Stan, you say you're okay with increasing safety to the point where the thrill goes away? I don't think the majority of NASCAR fans are going to be okay with that. Uh, I, I, I don't think that people want to see drivers get hurt, but at the same time, I think they want to see drivers do stuff 
at, that they can't they can't envision themselves sitting on the couch doing. Uh, a lot of people can sit there going, yeah, I could drive a car at 100, 150 miles an hour. You, know, you start going 200 miles an hour, six inches away from another car or a few other cars in the racetrack. That's why people get excited and, and, and watching NASCAR Cup Series racing as well as other forms of motorsports is for that excitement and the thrill. So. I do believe the pendulum has swung too far. I think we should target going back to kind of that sweet spot that we had in the probably the, the, the late 2000s, early 2010s, where our qualifying speed for Daytona and Talladega was somewhere in that 195 to 200 mile an hour range. I think that that 200 mile an hour, guys flirting with 200 miles an hour, it's a big psychological thing, right? You, you get that, if that first digit in the speed is a two, I think that sends a big message and it doesn't really matter if it's 210 or 201. I think that that is really a, a big psychological thing to help promote the sport. Doing 180 miles an hour for the Daytona 500, I think we've taken away from something here. And without sacrificing driver safety, I think we need to look into ways to getting it back. Last word, because we've been out of time here on radio today. Uh, but Andy, let's go ahead and do our roundtable uh, and our sign-off here. We'll start with you. Still CB14 fan on X, even though I don't really do much on there. But um, uh, glad to be back. Uh, cool to have the first show of the season. It feels like we just stopped, but um, three months goes quickly, and I'm, I'm glad we're back. I enjoyed qualifying last night. I'm really excited for everything else that's set to take place this weekend. So glad to be back and uh, looking forward to a fun year. Okay, it's good. It is good to be back, Tommy. Um, at since '95 fan on X, um, give me a follow. I'm tweeting my cars again this year, mostly just because I have a bunch of 24 cars for Jeff Gordon. So give me a follow. <laughs> okay, sounds good. We enjoy that, uh, Mike. It's going to be Mike underscore is O on X, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, really, really looking forward to the Daytona 500 this weekend. Unfortunately, I'm supposed to be racing myself this weekend. Uh, we scheduled an autocross race for the uh, the 17th and 18th. Work has now taken me out of Saturday. So I'm either going to be uh, doing autocross on the day of the Daytona 500, or I've got to skip racing. So I think I'm going to have to race myself. And maybe I'm going to be one of those few NASCAR fans selfishly hoping that we get a little bit of rain in Daytona this weekend so I can watch the Daytona 500 <laughs> live because I am super excited for the Great American Race this weekend. Okay. Well, be safe on the track. Uh, uh, I am Fan for Racing uh, on Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio on uh, Facebook, and uh, as well as our website, and we are back in action. Mike, thank you so much for stepping up at the last minute's notice, uh, having never done it before, and co-hosting with me today. I thought you did a really good job, uh, and I can't thank you enough. Um, because if you had not stepped up, I probably would have had to cancel the show altogether today, and uh, that would have broke my heart. Uh, we will be back for Monday uh, for the review of the weekend of racing, and that's provided there is no rain in the races on Monday. 
Um, but uh, hopefully everything will go smoothly uh, and uh, we'll be able to come back with Sal Segala as the co-host on Monday night, and that will be a live broadcast as opposed to the podcast. We will continue to podcast on Thursdays and uh, live broadcast on Monday for the review. So Hot Topics will be back uh, on Monday night as well, so uh, we'll look forward to that. And um, uh, I'm looking forward to the entire season, uh, and I can't wait uh, for everything to happen this weekend, starting with the duels tonight. I'm glad we were able to do the show as a podcast today so that we can all watch the duels tonight. So with that, guys, I guess uh, we're ready to call it a wrap, unless you have anything more that you need to say. Enjoy the weekend. Have a good one. Okay, goodbye, everybody. Enjoy your race weekend. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.